The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the Grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts, everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, welcome back again to the Wrestling Memory Grenade, episode 31. This is it, guys. It's the final edition of NWA 1989 as far as reviews go. It's going to be a doozy. Episode number 31 here. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me is the the gimpy-handed Steve Extent. Steve, welcome back to the show. Hope you're doing okay, buddy. Uh, hanging in there, man. Surgery is never fun, So, uh, but I'm here. We made it to the end. I can't believe it. <laughs> Steve is a trooper. He had left, the uh, yeah, had the old uh, carpal tunnel there. Did the, did the surgery and <laughs> he couldn't type for a couple of days. He wanted to take notes, so he was determined to get this show done and in the can. And uh, yeah, three weeks. You're right, Steve. Three weeks of TV here. We should be able to get through it pretty fast. A lot of the syndication is MIA, but all of the big TBS shows are here. It's uh, it, we made it. You know, we've said that before. When we were in the summer, oh, we made it to the summer. When, when we made it to November, we made it to November. This is it. <laughs> this is definitively it. Outside of it. next week's big urine review award show, whatever you want to call it, it's that's gonna be a fun one. It's gonna be a trip down memory lane. Some fun old sound bites and promos, and just handing out a few awards and things like that. But uh, for all intents and purposes, Steve, this is it. Yeah, and it's not it's some good TV. I mean, they're really not they're really booking to the Christmas stuff, um, but it's solid TV. Yeah, somebody forgot to tell you Rick Flair, how... Rick Flair and company, that our show ends now. They can stop booking like this now. They, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for all those people that don't like to appreciate Arn Anderson, just go back and listen to the reactions this man got every single time he showed his face. 
in the last three weeks of NWA 1989. It is Good crazy. Lord. I would never have expected a guy the level of Arn Anderson, and that's not tr- I'm not trying to bury Arn by any means. I I love me Arn Anderson, but he's not Ric Flair. He's not Sting. And man, the pops. These people appreciate the fact that he has come back so much. I'm sure some of it's yes. because of the Horsemen, and some of it's just because Arn Anderson was synonymous with with the whole big time Crockett run there in the mid mid to late 80s. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it blew my mind. Like, you know, I figured a week or so, and then it kind of just uh, run its course and everything's good. But no, it just kept happening every time they do it. And they did some cool things this uh, these last few weeks that we'll talk about, yeah, we're gonna I'm sure. So um, get right we'll, we'll into get to it when we get to it. But uh, right. yeah, very cool to see Arn Anderson get the love that he deserves. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the Russell Copia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. Just one piece of news before we get going with the TV reviews, and that's all about your boy. Somebody say something about Wildfire. It's Wildfire Tommy Rich. He apparently broke two ribs. I can't believe it. Is this a rib? He broke two ribs when the New Zealand militia stomped him to the ground with their new wrestling boots that weren't broken in yet. I wrote, why couldn't this have happened six months ago? Took him this long to stop Tommy Rich. To Tommy Rich, huh? <laughs> so Tommy Rich out of commission as we end 1989, at least briefly, anyway. Steve, that's not fair. Don't do that. Don't do that to the poor Tommy Rich. <laughs> He's not. So the, you know what though? <laughs> he he hasn't been bad the last couple of weeks. Of that's kind of funny. I I think I wrote that in my notes somewhere. That oh now he decides to pick to up his game. Yeah now now when the show's over. <laughs> 
Now he learned to work. And then I think I erased it because then he had a shit match after that. So I was like, you know what? I'm not saying that anymore. Fuck that. So Tommy Rich gone for the time (laughs) being. That's the good news. The bad news is he's already taped weeks of TV in the can. So we'll be seeing the wildfire all the way to the end here of this episode of The Grenade. Ah! Uh, Sorry, guys. He will be part of the show throughout these next three weeks. As we get going, Steve, are you ready to go? This is it. I'm ready to go, man. Let's go. Here we go. There was no power hour, guys. What a way to get started. No power hour on uh, December 15, (laughs) 1989, because Ted Turner decided to show Gone with the Wind instead. I don't understand these random decision-making processes here by Turner. They were doing that in Nitro to a degree, a a couple of times Mm. anyway, all the way to 1996 there, even during the Monday Night War. So it's just kind of funny. Sorry, no power hour this week. It wasn't. It wasn't the the Hawks. It wasn't a college game. No, no. It was Gone with the Wind, a gazillion-year-old movie. And I'm not saying it wasn't a classic. I bet you it did better ratings. I was going to say. It did better ratings yeah, than that's, Power Hour. That's the argument every time, I think, is whenever they decide to do this shit, it's, it's still better ratings. So you can't really argue it at the end of the day. No, you definitely can't. It's so, a classic. Turner yeah. loved his old movies, man. Yeah. I wonder if he colorized it here in 80. I'm sure he did. Yeah, I'm sure it was a colorized edition of Gone with the Wind here in 1989. <laughs> Good old color. And we move on to the following day in NWA Pro for February 16th. But again, what a way to kick off the show. Pro is missing in action, which I've pointed out the last couple episodes. I think the last known edition of Pro is somewhere around the end of November. So we're still trying to hunt down these December 89 NWA Pro episodes. I really wanted to get me one last Lance Russell and Bob Cottle, but just wasn't meant to be. I do know one match on that show was the dudes taking on the militia. And unfortunately, we'll still end up seeing that match on a later show. So I won't spoil (laughs) anything just yet. We'll move on to quick results from NWA Worldwide for February 16th. Saw Doom win a squash match. The Z-Man over at Joe Kazana. They showed highlights of Ric Flair and Lex Luger confrontation that actually didn't air yet. It's going to happen on World Championship Wrestling. The Midnight Express over Larry Santo and Lynn Wagner. And then they go back in time and show the return of Ole and, of course, as you pointed out, Arn Anderson back in the company. And then Ric Flair promised that big surprise on Worldwide last week. Well, he brings them out this week. It's Ric Flair, Ole, and Art Anderson out for a promo. And then we see the Andersons t- team up. It's Ole and Arn in the ring here over Joe Cruz and Rick Connors. And then we close out the show with the Dragon Master and Buzz Sawyer taking out Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich, which we'll also talk about on the next Power Hour. And they close out worldwide with a dynamic dudes promo. What a way to, what a way to end the show. As we move on to the nighttime program, the big one, one everybody loves. It's the 605 program, February 16th. World Championship Wrestling at center stage. We see highlights from last week. The Horsemen reunite as Arn Anderson made his epic return, as you pointed out, and they brawl with JTEX Corporation. As the show gets going, it's Jim Ross and Kevin Sullivan still hosting along with JR. The show gets going with the Fabulous Freebirds, former, oh, that feels so good, former World Tag Team Champion Fabulous Freebirds taking on Mike Thor and Lee Scott. We get an insert promo from the Freebirds at yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know how many more times I'm going to be able to say that, so I had to get that in. They look but don't feel marvelous. There you go. I guess that's what they were going for there. They give the Steiners a (laughs) a bunch of title matches until the Steiners finally beat them for the belts. But where's their rematch? The Freebirds feel shafted here. They weren't invited to Starcade either. Thank God for that. Could you imagine three Freebird matches in one night? No, thank you. Good call there, Jim Hurd or whoever made that decision. What's that? Be nice to see. Be nice to see them with the goose egg zero. <laughs> it would, but Doom. but 
see, yeah, you're right. The, the, the zero would be nice, but that also means you'd have to watch three Freebirds matches, and it, it's just not worth it. I don't know if my heart could take it. It's definitely not worth it, no. Definitely so the birds, the birds say, even though they've lost the belts and they weren't even part of Starcade, you can't keep the Freebirds down, and sadly, that is true. They will spike back up as time goes on here in the NWA. Luckily, we won't be around to see it as the match ends with stereo DDTs. Garvin on Thor, Hayes on Lee Scott. Freebirds pick up the win three minutes and 20 seconds. We continue on with Sting taking on Joe Cruz. Cruz lands the Stinger Splash. Yes, you heard me right. Cruz hit a, I think intentionally, shitty-looking Stinger Splash on the Stinger and even gives the old, ow, and beats his chest. You can't do that, Joe Cruz. Sting returns and takes over control. Cruz even gets in an elbow drop. Sting gave Cruz quite a bit of offense here. As Sting pops yeah, up yeah. from the elbow like he likes to no sell Ric Flair, Sting pops up there. But Cruz got a lot of a lot of offense in here. Yeah, dude. Sting seems to be doing this lately, just giving these guys a little something, or he's just messing around with these squash matches. He's not really doing much. Uh, like that one where he faked the Stinger splash and then just dropped the dude or whatever he did, right? And just went to the finish. So. I think he's just bored with these, and he's just having fun, to be I'll honest. I'll tell you what. It catches your eye. It makes you take notice. So clever yeah, by Sting. Yeah, if, he's doing it by the, if he's doing it for that particular reason, he's he's doing a good job because it's really it's it's not your paint-by-numbers shit. You know, it's it's catching your eye. Yeah. He, like, everybody does just goes out there and goes through the motions, whereas Sting's trying to have a little bit of fun with it. Uh, he's in serious angles and serious matches all the time, so I'm sure he probably enjoys these a little bit at this stage in his career to just kind of lighten the mood and just have fun in the ring, considering he's going 25, 30 minutes with whoever he's going in, in the ring with. Like, Could you imagine guys, so. being Joe Cruz here and Sting comes up to you backstage and says, hey, man, I want you to hit me with my finish. What? Like, are you ribbing me? Is there, is, is there something going on out there when we get out there? And it was it was great, though. Cruz nailed the stinger splash, beat his chest, gave it the big, oh, I loved it. I The only thing I, I wish they would have done was take it home right after that, like, Sting maybe a little more aggressive, and you know that pissed me off. But they kind of kept the match going here. But the match does finally end. Singer splash, Scorpion deathlock. Sting picks up the win, three minutes and three seconds. I also noted during the match on commentary, I guess you know this was recorded. I don't know, maybe at the same tapings, if not the taping shortly after, probably before they knew exactly what was going on with Tommy Young. They announced here that referee Tommy Young suffered only a concussion. No other injuries. I thought that was interesting. And he, that he was, quote-unquote, already back. And that's uh, clearly they jumped the gun on that commentary, figuring that Tommy Young would be back. And as we know, he's pretty much done. Uh, as far as a long uh, full-time career, he's, he's done. And I don't, I don't think he returns again until that brief stint with the WWF during that NWA fiasco, and like almost 10 years later. Yeah, definitely jumped the gun. But, you know, the one of the themes of 89 is, once it's in the can, they ain't fixing it. So yeah. no, no, no <laughs> sure post-production. No post. They knew he wasn't coming back, but they's like, "F it," you know. Who cares? Right. So, uh, not surprised at all. We go on to a promo with the roadies and the Steiners. You heard me right. Both teams out there. They talk a uh, the upcoming house shows. They sell eight man tag team matches where it's supposed to be the roadies and the Steiners taking on Doom. And I can't believe they're still doing this. They're selling this Doom and the skyscrapers. Starcade has even passed us at this point, and they're still selling the skyscrapers as if there's even a chance that Sid Vicious is going to make it out here when the planned return date at this point, I believe, is February, and I believe he doesn't even return for months beyond that, at least into the ring. So there will be no skyscrapers. I'm assuming the Samoans, and we, I think we find out the Samoans kind of replace the skyscrapers here. It makes common sense after Starcade. 
Those eight man tags at the house shows. Hawk says life is a roller coaster of emotions. Wrestling the road warriors and the Steiners is like riding a roller coaster. You feel like you're going to die, but you don't. I'm paraphrasing there. Hawks made a little less sense than that. He said, when it's all over, you get off a roller coaster. You're still alive. When you get out of the ring with the roadies or the Steiners, you wish you were dead. It's basically what I got out of it anyway. <laughs> That's about sums it up. Uh, Hawks all over the place these last couple of weeks. Yeah, he's got he's found himself a new dealer, and it's some good stuff. Probably Buzz Sawyer. You notice Hawk got a lot less. Uh, <laughs> you really couldn't understand Hawk. Uh, less comprehensive once Buzz Sawyer came into the area. Probably bought some uh, <laughs> stuff along with him. I'm sure they're hitting it off real well yeah, right now. Some good shit. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. We go back in time to last week and see the highlights again because it wasn't enough at the top of the show. The Horseman and JTEX brawling last week. You heard me right. The Horseman. That's followed by a promo with Buzz Sawyer and Gary Hart. Gary Hart says, Japan, here we go. Got to get one of these in on the last episode. One time, Japan tried to surprise us at Pearl Harbor, but Japan found out no. they didn't finish the job. Oh, boy. JTEX. Oh JTEX now, they're not Japan. They will finish the job, Steve. The Mad Dog's still standing after the surprise that Flair promised last week, Arn Anderson. Buzz says he wants everyone to beat on him. And... And he does point out, I like this, that he went back in time and said Oli was the one that taught him. Now, Oli didn't train Buzz, but Oli was the big proponent of Buzz. You see what Buzz is? You can see why Oli got off on, you know, that's a that's probably the one thing that Oli would jerk off to. I like watching Buzz Sire matches. Kill that kid. Yeah. You know, it's like Vince squatting at 75. Squat it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, but yeah, what did you think here? Gary Hart dropping the old, uh, well, I hate to say dropping anything at this point, but. Using the Pearl Harbor line. Uh, <laughs> I was, I, when I heard it, I'm like, did he really just go there? Freaking Gary Hart, man. Um, he can be so good at times, yet so terrible at the same time. Um, when he was with Muda and Muda was getting pushed, he was phenomenal. He was excellent. Uh, now that Muda's kind of in the back burner and really nothing going on, he's going back to this racist shit and just utter stupidity. Like, you're really going to, compare this wrestling shit to a freaking tragedy like Pearl Harbor. I mean, come on, uh, be serious. The the uh, most hilarious part, if you, if you want to call it hilarious of this whole thing is that two of the three guys that Gary Hart manages are Japanese. So he's like shitting on Japan, even though like 66% of his raw, his uh, stable is Japanese. I don't know. I don't think Gary yeah. knows sometimes. So I think when Gary's saying, on, like- Gary's on. Unfortunately, you yeah. know, when he's off, well, he's way off. And this is probably the shit he enjoys the most. Let's be honest. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> those were easy, cheap hit promos. I'm sure that's what all of his promos were in the in the 70s and whatnot. You just, I, I can't believe he's still getting away with them here. Uh, you know, with Turner. And well, you know what? This is never going to make the network. <laughs> that's <laughs> unfortunate too. Uh, you know, that's yeah. God, when I read that this week. <laughs> I was like, there's no point in watching anything ever again on the network. What's that? They're combing through 17 hours, 17,000 hours of footage. Yeah, well. Can you imagine what they'll find in there that they consider offensive? (laughs) You might as well not even put ECW on there. That's what I I just said that yesterday to somebody. I don't remember who I was talking to. I'm like, well, there's no ECW. I think I was telling my kids that yesterday. Might as well forget the ECW section. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) 
Ridiculous. Anyway, that's not that's off the subject here. Yeah. So but we'll um, move on we'll move with on. six man, yeah, six man <laughs> tag team action with the JTEX. It's Muda, Buzz Sawyer, and Dragon Master taking on Rock Hard Rick, Agent Steel, and Scrap Iron Bill Ford. Muda came out and he blew the green on one of Buzz's hands. Then he looked like he started to blow the uh, other hand of Buzz. It's terrible. He's blowing blowing people, but he blew red like five seconds after he blew green. So I thought that was really cool because I was like, man, if he blew another color here, that'd be badass. But I didn't think it was probable to do it that fast. But sure enough, Muda with the green and the red spray on Buzz's hands just in time for Christmas. I don't think that's why Muda did it, but that's it's what it reminded me of. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Pretty sweet. Mood is the man. It's just unfortunate what happened here. Yeah. The wheels fell off. I don't even know if we see him in the ring again for the rest of this fucking episode. I don't think of the we do. Yeah, he's pretty much just hanging in the do. back at this point. The match gets going. Buzz mauling the job guys per usual. The Dragon Master does the double stomp like Kevin Sullivan, but not nearly as good on Scrap Iron Bill Ford. Muda does the handspring elbow. And then Buzz comes back in. He absorbs the blows, allowing the job guys to punch him. He enjoys it. He's eating it up. He's getting off on it before he lands the big Sawyer power slam. And he tags Muda in. But Muda's just like, nah, I don't feel like doing shit. This kind of felt like Carlito when he was trying to get fired by the WWE. It's like, I don't want to do anything. So Muda kind of tags in, looks around. He's like, nah, you go do the splash. Muda tags back out. Doesn't do anything. Tags back to Buzz. Buzz nails the top rope splash to pick up the win here. Five minutes and 20 seconds. I loved it. So cool. Muda's like, F you to all of you. I'm not doing this shit. Let's go. And it's time for a debut here as the grenade comes to a close. And boy, he's all over this show. It's Cactus Jack McFoley's Cactus Jack Manson here teaming with Rick Fargo, taking on tag team champion, the Steiner brothers, Jim Ross and Sullivan actually put over Cactus Jack during the previous six man tag team match. Talking about him making a debut in the upcoming match here. So they're really trying to get him over, even though, they're not really allowed to book him beyond job guy status as far as Jim Hurd's concerned. The announcers, the bookers, everybody's trying to do everything they can to get Cactus over here without making it obvious to Jim Hurd, I suppose. Yeah, and they do a pretty good job. Um, they give him everything he needs, and uh, you know it's like a perfect way to book somebody as a jobber even because that's all you can do. And I'm hoping, I'm, I'm assuming they're hoping he can impress enough during these matches that Jim Hurd would be like, okay, let's do something with this guy. I'm assuming that's the main goal here, but um, I don't know how it doesn't work. I mean, good God, he's killing himself. So Yeah, to say the um, least. It's no wonder he was <laughs> retired full-time by 2000. Yeah, no shit. So the match gets going. Once again, the Steiners give the belts to a couple of kids at ringside. Rick, with some stiff-ass shots on Cactus Jack, gave him a Steiner line so close to the ropes that Foley actually kind of bounced into the ropes instead of taking a bump. I wrote, oof, because he literally hit him with one of them nasty, stiff, Steiner lines and, and Jack had nowhere to go. So Cactus just kind of stands there and Rick slaps him twice really hard across the face. It was fun. It was really fun watching the stiffness here. And Rick again, a Steiner line to Jack. Kevin Sullivan selling Cactus Jack popping up from the Steiner line, which he did. He didn't pop up like sing and no sell it, but he got up from the move as if it was just taking a backdrop or a body slam. He did get up. So the announcers right away, immediately upon his debut, selling that he likes pain. So that'll get you over, too. Uh, in fact, Jim Ross, I think, even uh, suggests maybe he doesn't even feel pain. Scotty late in the match with a Samoan drop off the top rope on Fargo. And then the kids actually hit Fargo with their title belts, but the camera pans away to the crowd. We don't see it. We hear the pop from the fans, but we don't actually see the cam the belt shots because 
you're not allowed to show foreign objects uh, on the TBS program, I believe. And it's kids doing it, but we still don't even get to see it. I guess they're also trying to keep kids from wanting to, you know, hit each other with things, perhaps. <laughs> they're probably doing a lot of things. They're probably, they're probably hiding a bunch of things there. But yeah, pretty cool that the Steiners involve the kids a little bit. Probably gives them, you know, they're in there for a long TV taping time. And a couple, uh, a couple of lucky kids get the chance to go down there and hang out with the Steiners. Pretty cool. But yeah, Cactus Jack looked awesome here, too. I thought. To show you how refreshing and different for the yeah, time. it's so much different. It's yeah, you're right. Refreshing is an excellent word to use here. As we go into the finish, you can tell the Steiners are having a blast because Rick just kind of props himself up in the corner and jumps up and kicks his heels as he watches his brother Scotty finish Fargo off with the Frankensteiner. Finally, a Frankensteiner pin. It only took about a half a year, but it's finally a finisher here. And the Steiners pick up the win in four minutes and forty five seconds as the kids celebrate with the Steiners post match though. It wasn't the Steiners who got noticed. It was Cactus Jack who slaps Fargo around for losing the match. We never saw that before, Steve. You ever see a job guy beat up another job guy for losing? Oh, my God. Cactus takes exception to Fargo, who did the job here. Fargo fights back, though, but they end up on the floor. Where at, and we get it for the very first time. Cactus Jack does a flying, leaping elbow drop off the apron onto the concrete. No padding. Onto the concrete. Barely connects. I think he's wrote about this in his book, how far away he placed Fargo. He didn't even know if he could make it. It was a hell of a fucking jump. And he had to, he had to extend completely. And thank God Foley is as tall as he is because he barely connects. And I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to put this down. This is a, a hell of a spot. Uh, it'll get you over. Takes that leap off the apron and has to completely extend his entire body to land his arm across the chest of Fargo. Nasty, nasty splat by Mick Foley on his hip. And Kevin Sullivan, the crazy man that Sullivan is, even yells, what is wrong with this guy? So even Sullivan working hard to get Cactus Jack over here. And then they, pan, they, they close out this segment with the camera in the face of Cactus Jack, who fully which just did a, a masterful job here of giving that crazy, I'm not all here look as they go to commercial break. Yeah, the elbow was crazy. Um, it was really far away. They had to get, he had to go over the padding and then hit the concrete. So a really cool spot, unique, different. Very, very uh, fun, I would say. It's definitely different than what you get, the cookie-cutter stuff you get over and over and over. Then all of a sudden you get Cactus Jack, and it's like a breath of fresh air. So um, it's unfortunate. It's like the last episode of uh, 89 that we get him, but uh, at least we got to see some. Yeah, the good stuff anyway. As we go on, not only has yeah. Arn Anderson returned to the NWA, but so is Kendall Wyndham. Unfortunately, as he takes on Trent Knight here, we get an insert promo from Kendall Wyndham, and now I remember why he never got to talk before. He says he's here and he's going to beat people up. Wow, that's not 1950s wrestling promo jargon. He takes, he's going to take some gold. I wrote counterfeit gold, perhaps? Who knows? Yeah, You never know who he's coming for or when. Blah. As Kendall Wyndham picks up a win here over Trent Knight in just two minutes, 33 seconds. Kendall Wyndham, the, the counterfeit Barry Wyndham of the Wyndham family here. And uh, we move on. Less said about Kendall Wyndham at this point, the better, because he does get more involved with the show uh, moving forward, at least briefly. I will say that uh, the yeah. only thing I want to say on that is mm-hmm. he, him, him and Trent Knight almost look identical. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> like, that's true. The, the goatee, the little, the little mustache. I think Trent Knight's a little bit bigger, but when you see him in the ring together... 
it really exposes how small Kendall Windham is. I mean, he has the height, but he's just a twig. Yeah. Trent Knight is about the same size, and he's a jobber. So how are we supposed to take Kendall Windham serious? Yeah, Trent Knight's actually so, more uh, built, more full, yeah. fully built than, than Kendall Windham here. So Kendall obviously getting the push because of who he is, maybe not necessarily his look, obviously. if he, if he he was he's, he's never going to get pushed for his look. Let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely not. We get a Tommy Rich promo following that match. Even his shirt looks like shit here. It's all droopy and shit. The the neck collar hangs down to the, uh, I don't know. It's Tommy Rich just, he's, he's killing me. We get a Mike Rotunda rematch next week because I guess they're doing that to honor Tommy Young. Hey, we had a shit match and you broke your neck, so let's, let's remind you and have another stinker here next week on World Championship Wrestling. Got that to look forward to in the next episode of WCW. As we go back to the ring, it's Arn Anderson and brother or cousin, whatever. It's cousin now here in 89. Ole Anderson, they team up taking on Pat Rose and the Galaxian. That's Danny Davis of the Nightmare fame. Old school jobbers, Pat Rose and Danny Davis. I hate to even call him jobber, especially Danny Davis, who's been around the block. And obviously still, I think he's still with OVW up there with Al Snow or maybe sold to Al Snow. But God, all that training and everything he did through OVW all those years. Uh, but it makes sense. The Andersons, old school team, taking on two guys they know that can go in there and make them look good. Throwing up the fours on the way to the ring, so we know the four horsemen are back. But they're coming down to Ric Flair's theme, which I thought was a little weird. Kind of weird to see Arn and Ole, especially Ole, come out to, to Ric Flair's theme. Pat Rose has handed a pair of pliers from Gary Hart at ringside, but he's not permitted to use them. Arn Anderson knocks them away, luckily for the Andersons there. The Galaxian eats a spine buster. But Pat Rose breaks up the count, so we get to see the Arn Anderson spine buster here. And then the Andersons work Pat Rose's arm. Ole off the top rope with the knee drop down into Rose's shoulder, and the arm bar picks up the win in 5 minutes and 21 seconds. I wrote, did that finish look familiar to you, Steve? <laughs> Just a little bit. We saw Doom do this identical finish here repeatedly over the course of the last couple of months. I mean, in between the other two finishers they're doing too. Uh, even with the whole knee drop off the top rope into the armbar spot. So I, I'm, something tells me Doom won't be doing that very much longer. And post-match, it appeared there was a Horseman interview. And by that, I mean Flair, Ole, and Arn. They're all ringside all of a sudden. And it looks like they all spoke. Jim Ross never really opens the promo. I just feel like they edited it down, whittled it down to just Arn Anderson, which is fine with me as we listen to the Arn Anderson promo. Welcome back to World Championship Wrestling, Arn. Well, Jim Ross, I've been all across this country in the last year, and all the conversations I had were the same. How's Rick? Where's Ole? They say adversity introduces a man to himself. Well, the horsemen have been through a lot of adversity. There's been some name changes. There's been a few discrepancies within the family. But we always knew family is still family. We may smack each other. But Sawyer, Hart, Muda, Dragon Master, you want to smack us, you got to pay the fiddler. There you hear from the horseman, ladies and gentlemen. Got to pay the fiddler. I got to agree with you, Steve. It's nice to have Arn Anderson on TV, even if it's just for a few weeks. Oh, yeah. It's so nice. It's refreshing. I mean, he's home. He definitely feels at home here. He, he's more believable here, obviously, being in NWA and stuff. So, yeah, uh, I was happy. I'm happy we got, what, two episodes and we got, I guess you got Starcade where they had that little angle there, but um, I love Arn Anderson, so it's great to see him in his element here. 
We move on with the show. It's the New Zealand Militia with new manager Lord Littlebrook. I don't know whose idea that was, but I love it. I like Lord Littlebrook way more than I actually like the Militia. They're taking on Paul Drake and Larry Santo here. We get an insert promo from Littlebrook. He says he's a happy little man. And he said he got a call from (laughs) Margaret Thatcher who says the Queen of England is pleased with the New Zealand Militia. I still don't get the tie there. Of course, they'll be the royal family before too long. Uh, during the match, Rip Morgan looking better and better, I think. He's more he's not just a kick-and-punch guy anymore, and he's starting to get in a little better shape, I thought, as well. Too bad he, he really never got a shot or never made it in the WWF. Maybe not as a singles, but some kind of a tag team or something would have been nice there. Double gore, gourd buster on Santo ends this one. Three minutes, 18 seconds, and then Littlebrook post-match uh, lays in the boots to Paul Drake as well. Yeah, they get their short puns in. Short kicks to Drake or, and things like that. Every single time he gets in the ring, they always make that comment, like short kicks and things like that. But, yeah, I, I like Little Brook. I like his accent. I like the way he talks, and I know it's coming up. I don't want to spoil too much, but Terry Funk does an excellent job of getting him over. Makes him more believable to me anyway. So um, they it, at first, it's like, what the hell is going on here? It makes no sense. But then they put in a little effort, and they actually you know, really do a pretty good job of developing it and making it work and i think rip and victory bought into it and i think rips i'm with you man i like rip morgan i mean he's gotten a lot better as the year has gone on and he has a look obviously he could have definitely been in the berserker type gimmick or something oh, like that where yeah. uh just like crazy wild man stuff and um it's unfortunate he never really got a chance to do that as we move on with the show it's lex luger promo time jim ross interviews luger in front of the ring so they're changing up some of the interview areas now they did it with the uh horsemen now they're doing it with luger here instead of uh, just in front of the backdrop the wcw logo backdrop now uh luger with his usual lines here so i didn't really jot them all down he runs down the nature boy the world title or the world champion lex says titles don't make the man because lex luger is the man and lex makes the title and since lex is the u.s champion the U.S. title is the number one belt. God, I love this shit. It's just so matter-of-factly. It just flows right out of his mouth like it's true. It's so good. Lex Luger calls Ric Flair out for a confrontation. As Flair comes out, he notes that Jim Hurd and Ted Turner told them there should be no physical contact. At that point, I question, why did Jim Hurd and Ted Turner know that Ric Flair was going to come out here and confront Lex Luger in order to tell him they wanted no physical contact here? But Lex says he is the number one contender. Ric Flair agrees. And they, they state that the match has been signed, though they don't say where. Obviously, it's going to hit up the house show loop and then the Omni on, on uh, New Year's Day. So uh, it's coming up. Lex Luger getting those world title shots. So a brief run there with Sting. They obviously know at this point the plan is to put the belt on Sting. So I think they're pivoting away from Sting for the short term. Have Luger work with Flair up until the pay-per-view where Sting was supposed to take the belt. And then they probably would have went back to Sting and Luger at that point. Yeah, that's what it looks like, and that's it's unfortunate we didn't get that. Now this was a very good angle. I wasn't. I was surprised that um, Flair came out. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I know he's the good guy and everything. I just didn't just think this would have been the time to do that. I mean, right. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know it was coming. So uh, <laughs> he had a great line. Flair did. Uh, he's glad he saved his money, which is a crock of shit. Because uh, he says he's going to be retired and living on a yacht in the Bahamas if, if he has to depend on Lex Luger to feed his family. I love it. <laughs> Basically saying he can't draw a dime. Yeah, 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 there's. It was very good. Yeah, he put Lex over. He told me he was the, what's you know, funny is the this, most gifted athlete in the sport, but he wouldn't count on Lex beating the Nature Boy, right? 
Yeah, I will say a quick funny story about yeah. these two. Uh, I was watching a, another signing that Luger had, and I don't know what the hell they were talking about. I was just skimming through it. And Luger said that one time Flair said that Luger wasn't man enough to wear pink tights. Uh, so <laughs> Luger, he's like, he double dared me, so I had to do it. I had to get me some pink tights. He's like, I wore them one time just to show Flair that I was man enough to wear pink tights. Uh, but he basically dared me to do it uh, because Flair said he wasn't man enough to wear pink. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. It seems like through all the bullshit and all the negativity that was surrounded Luger, he probably was a decent guy to mess around with, I'm sure. Right. It probably I'm sure he had his friends. At know? the end of the day, you can only look in the mirror so long. There's probably that hour where you want to go party, and you got to party with somebody, <laughs> right? So Yeah, I'm sure he learned a lot from Flair and being in the horseman, let's be real. Yeah, no doubt. We continue on with the show. It's the Dynamic Dudes in a promo. They talk about the Midnight Express and Jim oh, Cornette, who Lord. turned on him. And that reminds Johnny Ace of commercial. You know, Steve, the one about the three little bugs? Fucking idiot. <laughs> Ace just no. compared himself to a can of Raid, by the way, because the Dynamic Dudes are a can of bug spray, and they're going to spray the three little bugs, the Midnight Express. And Jim. Somebody fucking stop giving this guy a microphone, please. Oh, God, come on. That's not, that's not fair to say. I'm doing the best I can with what I got. Fucking idiot. <laughs> Shane Douglas says he's, he's enjoyed. What's that? What? Oh, he's not bad. He's not bad as uh, the figurehead in WWE. He's funny then, but God, this is horrible, dude. Yeah. This is terrible. <laughs> so Shane Douglas says they've been enjoying spending Jim Cornette's money. Of course, the money they won coming out is Dick Grayson and uh, Bruce Wayne there couple weeks ago and beating the uh, midnight express for cornets what was it 10 grand i think it was but there's one problem yeah uh they got the midnight express but they haven't gotten jim cornet back yet and so the next time they wrestle there's a slew of matches all of a sudden randomly signed going on around the christmas time period of course that's when they draw their biggest houses or theoretically that's when they're supposed to draw their biggest houses and if the dudes can beat the midnights on those shows they get five minutes with jim cornet as the show goes on, we see the Midnights in the ring taking on Bob Cook and Rick Ryder. Double flapjack, but Stan pulls him up. Stan Lane then picks him back up and nails a side slam. Bobby gets in the ring, starts to pick the job guy up, but just puts his foot on his face and gets the win here. Midnights pick up the win, being the heels that they are. Two minutes, 19 seconds. And that's followed by a Jim Cornette promo with the Midnight Express. Corny responds to the dudes. Well, last week we were here, you lost $10,000 to the Dynamic Dudes, and now, and the next time the Dudes and the Midnight meet, if the Dudes win, they're going to get five minutes alone with James E. Cornette. Are you worried about that? Hey, why don't you shut up, you bunch of stinking rednecks? I don't need your opinion one bit. Let me tell you what's going on. The Dynamic Dudes came in here under assumed names, wearing masks like thieves in the night, and they stole $10,000. The bell never rang. It wasn't a legal match. They were fake names to begin with and hiding their identity, and the NWA will not give me my money back. But what's more, the dynamic dudes go crying to the promoters, bellyaching, complaining, saying Cornette interferes. We want to get our hands on Cornette. So now they've got the stipulation signed. When the Midnight Express meets the dynamic dudes, if lightning should strike, I ain't worried about it because they ain't going to win. But if lightning strikes, if somebody gets hit by a bread truck, if the dudes win, 
They get five minutes alone with me and I know exactly what they want to do to me. It's all a big conspiracy. It's so crystal clear. The NWACs, the Midnight Express, Jim Cornette, getting too powerful, getting too strong. We're going to take things over and rule things like we did one time before. So all the referees and the promoters, all the way up to Jim Hurd, they get in a conspiracy. Let's keep them down. Let's screw them up at every turn. Well, let me tell you this. The dynamic dudes are not going to beat the Midnight Express. And they're not going to get five minutes with me and that match coming up. And what's more, we are going to rule the NWA just as we did before. And no conspiracy of all these officials is going to stop us, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with more World Championship Wrestling from center stage in one moment. Wow, man, it's uh, it's been missing for so long. Corny really didn't have a whole lot to do. And now that he has something to do, it's right back to the great promos. Yeah, it definitely is. And these promos, like, they keep on doing angles and angles so he's not having to repeat himself over and over. I mean, like, during that Paul Heyman feud that he had with the, the original Midnight's, it was just very repetitive. Same stuff over and over because it was such long periods in between the matches. With this, it's just like a TV angle. So every week they're doing a different angle and different things to talk about. So um, the promos are refreshing and nice to hear for sure. Yeah, you can tell Jim's booking their particular feud because he's doing it Memphis style. There's an angle every week to keep it hot and keep it going, and it's working. And the promos, yeah. Corny's cutting her, are tremendous as well. He's uh, He has a reason to cut a new promo every week. Like you pointed out, it's not the same promo because there's actually new shit happening every week. Uh, good job. Really good job there. So, uh, you know what's not a good job is uh, when you see Tom Zink in the ring taking on the Samoan Savage, <laughs> which is our next match. In fact, it's like our main event. It's not the final match in the show, but it's one of our big main events this week. You know, I don't know what happened to Tama in between leaving the WWF and coming here to the NWA, but he was tremendous when he was part of the Islanders. And man, I just, I can't get into him here. I want to, but I just can't do it. About a hundred pounds. Yeah, hundred pound difference. You're right. <laughs> As the match got gets into Tama. Yeah, that is what I wonder. What yeah, what a lot of pineapples. I don't know what he was doing there. No, that wouldn't get you hundred pounds. He's a lot of lot of um fucking pig roast. Yeah, a lot of pig roast for Tama. Uh, yeah. As the match gets going, Tom Zink takes control first, but Savage with the dreaded nerve hold of doom. Savage tries for the big diving splash, but he misses Zink out of the way. Zink comes back with the drop kick and then locks in the sleeper. But Tama rams the Z-Man backwards into the buckle to break the hold. Z-Man tries to come back again with a suplex, but the big kahuna Oliver Humberdink puts Tama's foot on the rope. Can you imagine having to put your guy's foot on the rope from a fucking drop kick? Jeez, oh man. And that's really the whole match. Drop kick, sleeper, drop kick, nerve hold. And then Z-Man goes after yep. Humperdink. Savage attacks Z-Man and for no reason just grabs Zink and throws him over the top rope for the disqualification finish. Z-Man picks up the win. Five minutes, 46 seconds. And he returns with yet, <clears throat> yes, a third drop kick, sending the Savage out of the oh, ring. It's Lord. like every time Zink had an offensive move, it was a drop kick. <laughs> it's almost like they got, got with each other in the back and said, hey, do you want to work tonight? No, not really. I don't either. Let's just go out here and do rest holds, and then you do your drop kicks, and I'll just toss you, okay? All right, man, sounds good. And then they just went out and did it, because this was shit. It was like an arm bar to start, and then when yeah. Savage got control, it was just a nerve, nerve hold. Nerve hold, right. And then finally, at the end, they just tossed him. Like, it was with some drop kicks in between. Uh, it was just very, very boring, terrible. And these dudes are better than that. We, we know that for sure. Uh, we've seen it a hundred times. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. I didn't realize how awful Zink was here in 89 because, like I said, I remember his stuff. Now, he wasn't always perfect, but I remember liking a lot of his stuff in 90, 91, 92. Maybe not the Johnny Gunn era, but 
some of like earlier on when he wrestled Brian Pillman, of course, Pillman probably had a lot to do with that as well. Um, not so yeah. much here in 89. And again, wonder, like, I love Tonga kid. Of course he was a teenager when he broke in, but I love Tonga kid. I love Tama. I thought he was uh, an amazing talent and, um, yeah, not, not so uh, much here in 89. This makes you wonder like those, look at the tag teams they were wrestling in the WWF. And I know work weight rate isn't a thing in WWF really. Right. But back in the eighties, like house shows loops and things like that, it was a thing. And the Hart foundations, the bulldogs and those guys, they were going to go out in that ring and put on matches that were good. Yeah. Make no uh, mistake. They, they the tag team matches, the, the tag team matches, Steve, were the heart and soul of the house shows in the late eighties. Yeah. And so it just makes you wonder, you know, when you're in the ring with the hearts who are going to bring it every night or the Bulldogs are going to bring it every night. And there's other teams, killer bees, those guys, it just steps up your game. You have to work or you're going to look like shit. So the Islanders, you know, Tama and Haku, that's probably the best they ever looked. Uh, Z-Man and, and Martel looked great. You know, the, the Can-Ams, they were forced to work well just because those teams required it here. Uh, it's like nothing is making them do anything. And like, anything, like, like, and like you whole, pointed out, uh, you know, Thomas put on like a freaking hundred pounds here. That really doesn't help either. How the whole gimmick is the regress. <laughs> right. Regress right. them back to their, their savagery. Their so primal the state. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah. Like just go back to doing nothing. <laughs> it's a pretty much what they are selling. Uh, it's just terrible. It's, it's, it's garbage. Show goes on with woman and nitron along with Teddy long woman and Teddy long and the same promo player. Woman has agreed to associate with Teddy Long and the Skyscrapers in order to take out the Steiners and the Roadies, even though Doom is the better team, she says. Teddy Long says they're taking over the world. As we go back to the ring, it's Doom with Woman and Nitron taking on Ricky Nelson and William Bell. This was taped pre-Starcade, so this, the strut song still in effect here this week. Jim Ross says, this is an interesting tidbit here. I, I'm sure you caught this in the, the announcing. Jim Ross says he thinks he knows who Doom is. In which Kevin Sullivan replies, I know you know who Doom is, but you're giving them professional courtesy. So at this point, it sounds like they know they're not fooling anyone. Jim Ross, Kevin, they know they're not fooling anyone with uh, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed under these masks. So they don't want to look stupid. So they're like, yeah, we know who they are, but we can't say professional courtesy here. I thought that was uh, really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely. I picked up on that. It was definitely an interesting conversation. Yeah, it's almost as if, you know, that booking team that doesn't really let anything go uncovered, they're addressing it. Okay, we know y'all know who they are. Hell, it's in our our magazine who one of them is. And so we're not going to insult your te- intelligence. So, um, yeah, uh, we have a pretty good idea who they are, too. So at least they didn't play it off like, well, I don't know. I have no idea who they are. Let's be honest, man. There's only been like maybe three or four black people on this whole sh- whole year. Right. And two of them are now under a hood. And it's not hard to figure it out. And that is not the, the junkyard dog's body. <laughs> so it's like, it's not hard to figure it out for them to address it. It's pretty cool. They don't want to insult your intelligence. Norman makes his way out to ringside as he begins to take Polaroid photos of woman. And it's called a crush here, Steve in 1989, not stalking as everybody would have you believe here uh, or in <laughs> modern day times. It's just a crush Norman has on woman. As Doom punishes the jobbers, keep pulling him up from covers. Reed with a nasty pile driver on Bell at one point, but it's the middle rope heart attack on Bell that ends it. Doom picks up the win three minutes and 52 seconds. And then it's time. It's time for the big $350 in mostly American money bounty match. <laughs> a whopping 350 bones 
the Cuban assassin can take it home to Cuba. If he can beat Norman the lunatic here, of course, well, maybe he's not a lunatic anymore. Cuban, uh, accompanied to the ring by Teddy Long, he attacks Norman with the flagpole and gets some brief heat. But Norman throws a nice-looking dropkick, and he splashes the Cuban, who winds up getting his foot on the ropes to break up the count. Cuban comes back with a little more heat on Norman, but Norman, right back at it with a power slam and a leg drop, wins this one in 4 minutes and 31 seconds. Well, Teddy, you get what you pay for. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't bad, though. This was actually a pretty decent match. Cuban worked, and Norman just has pretty good offense for his size. So it wasn't terrible. It didn't, it didn't go long enough for it to be terrible. Norman cuts that white meat baby face promo. He says, as long as the people's hearts are with Norman, Norman is with the people. So if you didn't know it before, Norman is full-fledged baby face at this point. And I don't know if Teddy Long continues these bounties or not. He doesn't on these shows, unfortunately. We go back to a Starcade 89 report, a post-show breakdown with Jim Ross, Funk, and Cornette. It was kind of cool. They were literally still in the Omni doing this, the report of the show. As you see the fans filing out in the background, I thought it was kind of cool there. Jim Ross does call this the inaugural tournament. Thank God it was the only tournament. We get a tournament next year. Yeah. What is Jim Hurd? What is it with Jim Hurd in fucking tournaments at fucking (laughs) Stargate? (laughs) I don't know. We get the Pat O'Connor. That's right. Pat O'Connor, the former NWA world heavyweight champion, Pat O'Connor, gets a fucking tag team tournament. I don't fucking know. Damn Jim Hurd. None of this Maybe they're trying sense. to get him a cut a cut a cut a message talking about how great the NWA is, huh? That's the Hulk Hogan tag team tournament. Makes no sense. Just <laughs> fucking terrible. Oh Lord. We move Jim on. It's Go- Gordon Soley ah, ah, with the Road Warriors in a promo. Following Starcade, the Roadies were the winners of Starcade. For those who don't know, they won the Iron Team tournament. Soley is a winner too, says Hawk, because he's the Dean of Announcers. The roadies say the Steiners are good athletes, but they remind them the roadies did win the tournament. Paul Ellering says they were tag team of the year five times. Ellering's been manager of the year twice here in the 1980s. They will continue to dominate into the 1990s. Then we cut away and go to another Sully promo post Starcade with The Sting. It's a The Sting promo. Sting says that it was unreal competition out there. Talks about Muda and Flair and Lex Luger. Breaks down the match with Ric Flair. Puts him over, obviously. He says Flair is still the man, but Sting will accept the title shot if it comes to him. So Sting already planting that seed that Flair is my buddy, but <laughs> that's what this is all about. I want, you know, if I, you're going to give me a world title shot, I'm going to take it. Yeah, pretty decent. I mean, he's not all over the place crazy like we see later on, but um, just your typical Sting promo, really nothing to it. We move on to the following night, NWA main event for December 17th, taped back on December, uh, December 5th in Dayton, Ohio. So again, pre-Starcade taping. It's Eddie Gilbert in the ring taking on Kevin Sullivan. I wrote, it's nice to hear Lance Russell's voice, even though that we have no more pros. We do get quite a bit, bit of Lance here, so I, I'm happy about that. Kevin Sullivan jumps Eddie Gilbert on his entrance, and the beatdown continues on the outside of the ring. But back inside, Eddie yanks Kevin Sullivan back to the floor. So it's Eddie's turn outside on the floor working over Kevin Sullivan. Then Sullivan locks Eddie into an arm bar, which goes on and on. Well, for me, it goes on and on and on. It's just a very long, it's like a Tommy Rich arm bar. Best way I can describe it here. Eddie Gilbert uses leverage to send Sullivan back out to the floor, and they're right back to brawling on the outside. Kevin Sullivan even gets posted. 
Back inside, Sullivan pulls an object out. An international object, Steve, not a foreign object. You can't say that here in Turnerland. Kevin grabs the foreign object, takes a big swing. Eddie ducks and hooks him into an atomic drop position, but Kevin pops him in the head. The old Randy Savage Tito Santana intercontinental title switch spot. As Eddie goes down, Kevin Sullivan picks up the win. Eight minutes and four seconds. No shocker to see Eddie doing the job. Kind of odd Sullivan books this way because Sullivan's kind of semi-retired, if you want to call it that. At this point, he's uh, doing doing commentary on World Championship Wrestling, and he's beating Eddie Gilbert here the following night on main event. Yeah, this match sucked. <laughs> that was not much <laughs> to really it. That's really all there is to it. Yeah, not much to it. There's nothing but an arm bar. Um, I mean, this is this pretty much summarizes Eddie Gilbert's 89. He started off with a bang and left with a fizzle. He started Just off with the WWE pyro and finished with the AEW pyro. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a good way to explain it in today's terms. For sure. They continue on. They show the Gordon Sully Road Warriors promo we just mentioned from World Championship Wrestling. So it's Jim Cornette promo time now. He talks about the conspiracy. The dudes beginning Christmas week. If they beat the Midnights, they get five minutes with Cornette. We already mentioned that. Cornette says it's never going to happen. And tonight on TBS, following the main event, it's Miracle on 34th Street. Last week, it was a Christmas story. This week, Miracle on 34th Street. Ted Turner doing us well here back in 1989. So we go on. It's the Midnight Express taking on Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich. Jim Ross on commentary for this one. Ranger Ross controls Bobby Eaton's arm early in the match. Stan Lane tries some karate, but fails against the Ranger, who's already, he's a, he's a karate master as well, it appears here. So he hides in the ropes. Stan tries to hide in the ropes to get away from Ranger, but Ranger gives him a kick in the ass, and Stan takes a bump out to the floor. I wrote LOL. The crowd popped huge for this simple little comedy spot. Great yeah, crowd did. lately. On all of these shows, they've found some really good cities lately. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it here. I think this is, I'm not sure if this is Dayton or not, but man, what a great crowd. Yeah. They really popped for just the simple, yeah. simple things. And it was, a, it was, a, it really added this match. It made this match good. Yeah, they, they did an excellent job. Crowd's awesome. I, I love that spot. It was pretty entertaining. I don't know where all the hate comes from the from Ranger Ross, man. He's pretty damn yeah. good. He's pretty entertaining. I'm not going to say he's a top flight challenger to any titles, maybe a TV title run. Right. Like as like a hope type deal where he might get it might get up and never does that type of deal. But he's not bad at all. He can hold no. his own and um it's just people they started to push him and then they stopped, started, stopped and then he disappeared, and then he comes back and there's no consistency, and um, that, that kills anybody. So out of all the shit we got in 1989, the ding-dongs, the dudes, Ranger Ross and Norman, I would say Norman and Ranger Ross were the two hits, if you want to call them that. Right. Decent, if booked properly. Match goes on. Ranger Ross in the ring for four minutes of action before finally tagging in the wildfire Tommy Rich, who chases Cornette into the ring out of nowhere during the middle of the match, and Cornette feigns a heart attack. More fun. From Jim Cornette here, Tommy Rich in control, runs into a Bobby jumping knee on the apron and beautifully done by beautiful Bobby as Rich was going off the ropes. Bobby grabbed hold of the top rope and threw both feet up into the air, caught Rich in the back of the head. I thought it was a very excellent spot to take over heat. The Midnights finally gained control seven and a half minutes into the match. Midnights with some brief heat on Rich. They throw Bobby off the top rope, though, and Rich makes the comeback with the Bulldog and does the old Ricky Morton roll to make the hot tag back to Ranger Ross. We get a four-way melee, double backdrop, and a combat kick by Ranger Ross. The crowd is eating this up. They're going nuts. You would think this is 
the second coming of, well, I won't call them the Rock and Roll Express. They're not that over, but the crowd really enjoying it, nonetheless. Ross covers, but Nick Patrick with Tommy Rich in the corner. So it's Stan Lane from behind with a tennis racket on the Ranger, and the Midnights steal the win in 9 minutes and 11 seconds. I wrote, this is where I wrote it, Steve. Fucking Tommy Rich waits until mid-December to be entertaining. Yeah, he's been, like, the match with Mike Rotunda wasn't bad. Uh, I figured that would just be a rest hold city, but it wasn't. It was a lot of action. Um, this match was good. And the other matches that, he, that we see him in later on aren't that bad either. <laughs> Why the hell did you wait so long, Tommy? Dang. The main event of the main event sees Arn and Ole Anderson take on the Freebirds. What a contrast of styles that is there. Lance Russell back on commentary for this one is Grumpy Ole. Starts with Michael Hayes. Arn and Ole easily out-wrestle the Birds early on. Garvin and Arn actually get into a shoving match because of that. The Birds finally take over with punches on Ole Anderson, stomping, eye-gouging. Quality Birds offense all around, Steve. Punching, kicking, eye-gouging. All of the great ones there by the fabulous Freebirds. Lots of false teases to a hot tag by Ole to Arn, so Ole knows what he's doing here. Even though he's a much, much, much better heel, he gets how to play a baby face. As the Birds double-team Ole in the corner, but Ole fights his way out, makes the hot tag to Arn Anderson. It's another four-way melee. Michael Hayes goes for the DDT on Ole Anderson, but Arn comes in to get in between, and an assistance, they try to do a sloppy assisted gourd buster here. Arn does pick up the win, 11 minutes and one second. I think what they were going for there was Ole was going to toss Hayes up in the air for Arn to hit the move. It didn't really come out so pretty, but hey, the right team won, and that's all I'm worried about here. It was weird seeing the Andersons play faces here. Uh, Ole, the face in peril, I it's hard to see Ole Anderson as the Ricky Morton of the team. Yeah, definitely weird seeing Ole in that position. I don't think he cares enough to think anything of it. You know, he doesn't matter if he's good or bad. He doesn't care. He just wants to hurt people. And that's kind of what he's doing. So um, it was all right. It was cool to see. Definitely different uh, seeing Ole in that position. Arn, you've seen it before. Maybe not yet here, but it, it was fine to me. I didn't mind it. No, you definitely needed Arn to get the hot tag. He's going to fire up much better than Ole is, especially here in 1989. But it's just weird seeing Ole Anderson get, be the be the baby face. Get, you can't really get sympathy on Ole Anderson, I guess, is is my point. No, it's tough. I mean, if you know how he is and just the piece of shit that he is, <laughs> it definitely doesn't work. But to be honest, back in 89, how many people knew that? Right. Ah, I guess you're right. I guess I, I'm, it's kind of skewed that way, too. My vision of Ole Anderson is kind of skewed in that sense. It's just still looking at him, how grumpy he is and all the evil things he did on TV, too. It's, I don't know. It just seems weird seeing Ole in this spot. Yeah, I agree. But he wasn't supposed to be. I don't know that I would have seen Tully Blanchard any better in this spot. I, he would have. It would have worked out better. Uh, he would probably been had a little more fire, a little better of a, a bumper, obviously, based on his age and whatnot. But seeing Tully as a baby face, you know, that's who that's a stretch, too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a stretch to see any of them. Like, right. just think of all the crap that the, the horsemen have done. I mean, yeah. none of them really fit that mold of getting uh, sympathy. Like, you're not right. going to get it. It's just not possible. So. Ratings this week. Uh, there were no power hour. It was gone with the wind, so we don't have to worry about that. The December 16th episode of World Championship Wrestling drew a 3.1, so it's staying over that 3.0 mark, which kudos to Flair and company for getting a 3.1 with the Cuban and Norman and the Z-Man and the Samoan Savage headlining your show. And December 17th main event, the Andersons and Birds draws a 2.7 as we move on. We have two weeks of NWA TV left. NWA Power Hour, December 22nd. 
Also from Dayton, Ohio, taped back on December 5th, it's the special Christmas edition. Jim Ross was going to get Cornette a present. Ben Gay, but he wasn't available. Gay joke here by Jim Ross. Oh, Lord. This is never going to make the Peacock Network. I think that's going to be the new thing going forward. This is never going to make it. Make the peacock. Yeah, well, that's not getting out of the Peacock. What do I care, pal? I'm just going to go squat over here and do, do some squats. I mean, that's impressive, man. I wish I could do a squat like that at 75. Jesus. You might be able to. You don't know. You're talking like you're, you're, you, you, you're 75 right now, and you know that for a fact. You might be able to. Well, hell, I, I, can't, even, I can't even do that squat now, and I'm 35. <laughs> so... You gotta have superhuman cyborg go roids, though, man. Like fucking Vince McMahon billionaire roids, bro. It's uh, it's possible. He's probably got some fucking Jeez. Terminator fucking robot parts in his body too. But as we start off Power Hour. It's Ranger Ross taking on Agent Steel. Ranger works a headlock for quite a while, and Steel works a chin lock for quite a while, and then Steel holds onto the ropes during an O'Connor roll. He thinks he's got a one up on Ranger, but he turns right around to the combat kick. Eight minutes and 50 seconds for Ranger to finish off Agent Steel here. After I give Ranger Ross kudos, I forgot about this one. <laughs> and I just watched it today, so this was very boring. But I like the finish where he thought he was good, and then he gets nailed with the combat kick. Uh, pretty good finish. And it's time, once again, for Gordon Sully uh-uh, and the WNN. And it's Christmas. It's an early Christmas present. As Gordon goes back to the original format of WNN, starts talking a little bit about other promotions. He says, when he touches on Japan here, Steve, he's right back to making shit up about Japan. He claims that both Jumbo Sharuda, who's in all Japan, and Tatsumi Fujinami, who's in New Japan, have both signed for world title shots against Ric Flair. Somehow, I doubt that. He also mentions the WWF, where Roddy Piper and Bobby Heenan are still going at it. And he talks about Christmas in Greenville, South Carolina, the 2 p.m. early matinee show. Features the Steiners and Doom, and then the Dudes and the Midnight Express, and later that night in Charlotte, North Carolina. Christmas night, it's Lex Luger challenging Ric Flair for the world title, and a six-man tag team action, Sting and the Andersons against Buzz Sawyer, the Great Muda, and the Dragon Master. Gordon wishes everyone a very Merry Christmas, and even conscious enough to say, Happy Hanukkah. And I saw a commercial I haven't seen in more than 30 years, so I popped for it, Steve. I knew this existed. I remember having this as a kid, damn it. This is where you counted down to Christmas by getting this Santa Claus count. Well, it wasn't really a calendar, but it was his beard. And every day you counted down, you put another piece of cotton in his beard here. It was all part of the 7-Up. Uh, build Santa's beard countdown to Christmas with cotton balls. <laughs> I don't know, dude. It's just I marked out for it because... Me and my cousin both had one of these, and it just it brought me back to fonder times, you know, nine, ten years old, Christmas. Good times back then. Yeah, for sure. My wife loved the countdowns. We got like six of them around the house during Christmas time. It's my favorite time of the year, so um, I, I, you can have as many as you want. I'm yeah. cool with it. <laughs> well, it's so hokey and cheap. It's a picture of Santa's head, and you're putting cotton balls on his beard. I mean, you, you're, you're <laughs> buying these cotton balls by yourself, mind you, right? They don't come in this kit or anything like that. So it's kind of cheap, but uh, hey, man, it was the 80s, and I enjoyed it anyway. So I marked out for it when I saw this here. Hadn't seen that commercial since since I was that old. So it was pretty cool. We go on with the Buzz Sawyer and the Dragon Master teaming up, taking on Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert. This is from Worldwide Wrestling. Terry Funk and the Crispy Cruiser on commentary here. No Gary Hart at ringside. I thought that was odd. Terry Funk says, Nagasaki walks backwards because he's all ass. 
Now, he didn't word it like that, but that's what he meant. I thought that was kind of kind of funny line there by Defunker. The bad guys, the heels, if you will, the JTEX, get heat on Tommy Rich, but he manages the hot tag to Eddie Gilbert, and it's a hot shot on the Dragon Master, but Bru- Buzz saw your end to break up the count. Buzz then lays Rich out on the floor, and it's a double suplex on Gilbert. And Buzz comes off with a big splash, but he doesn't even cover. He just tosses the ref out of the ring for absolutely no reason whatsoever for a disqualification, I guess so that Eddie Gilbert didn't have the job here. And the babyfaces even pick up the win six minutes and 21 seconds. They stomp Tommy Rich out on the apron down to the floor. And then a second Buzz Sawyer splash on Eddie Gilbert post-match. The Italian Stallion tries to come in and make the save to no avail. Terry Funk shouts, who is this guy? I wrote, LOL. And then the Andersons hit the ring finally. <laughs> Spinebuster on Kendo Nagasaki. They clear the JTEX from the ring. Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert made to look like complete buffoons here. And I got a note here from the Observer. DeMelt says the match was originally to be a singles match where Buzz Sawyer was to eh, squash hot stuff Eddie Gilbert, but some backstage heat over the proposal that saw Sawyer destroy Gilbert and be left laying until getting saved here. They had to do, basically it was going to be a singles match. They turned it into a tag team match to pacify Eddie Gilbert. They also changed the finish from a pinfall to the random disqualification, which really made no sense. Now you know why. Yeah, makes sense. Surprised Eddie Gilbert got it changed. I maybe he threw enough of a fit. I suppose I was going to say, Ed, you know, Eddie has been jobbing left and right to everyone. He hasn't, as far as we know, he hasn't put up a fit with anyone or, or disagreed. He's just went out there and done whatever's been asked of him and put on decent matches with some of the guys that were going to make him do the job. And I guess here this was enough. Maybe he just said no. Maybe there's backstory there. Maybe he doesn't like Buzz Sawyer. I don't know. That's possible. Uh, that's always possible. But but at the Who same time, like? I mean, he's Who he's letting like Buzz? right. Well, Buzz did still man- manage to basically splash Eddie into the mat. I mean, Eddie still looked weak as hell by the end of this here, but he didn't have to do the job anyway. Yeah, well, that's good, I guess. Right? Sure. Well, we'll <laughs> I'll go along with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's man. time for terry funk's grill he said he wanted to make the world a happier place well he brings on norman the painter it's uh it's frenchie martin 2.0 as norman's out actually he does the the, the bit better than frenchie martin here with the con- <laughs> he's even eyeballing getting the thumb up in the air kind of eyeballing painting getting getting everything just precise just right uh any reason to bring bob ross in i'm down wouldn't it have been tremendous if Bob Ross came in and did like a cameo with Norman on one of these, that would have been just <laughs> phenomenal. That would have been, yeah, that would have been pretty funny. So, There's no point to these funks grill anyway, no. so, so it would have fit right in. Yeah, man, and Ted Turner's money, just throw it around. Let's get some Bob Ross on here. That would have been true. Could you imagine Bob Ross trying to walk around a wrestling dressing room and the people he would have to deal with? That poor guy, he wouldn't even know what the hell to do. <laughs> Ole Anderson, Bob Ross conversation. Oh, That's I, I, I'd, pay, I'd book that shit all day long. <laughs> you know, I think you're, I think you're funny. You fuck. I can't imagine. What, that's okay. We'll just put a little tree right here. It's your little tree, Oli. <laughs> Terry says that Norman has the love sick blues. He's even got new teeth. Says Norman. Norman shows up his new teeth to just catch out his new teeth. Steve, the, he's got those missing teeth in the front now. Now he's oh, found him Lord. some some new teeth to, uh, I guess, go after a woman and kind of look look a little more handsome. As he's, uh, you know, got that crush. It's not stalking, remember. It's a crush. Norman says he wants to impress 
with his talent, not his looks. And he can paint. He's painted a couple of houses so far, Steve. And he, he says, Terry Funk looks at the painting and tells Norman, oh, you forgot to draw the arms on the booger. Oh, boy. I wrote, how does this show still exist? Oh, Lord. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was terrible. I do not care for Funk's Grill at all. The only, the only good part about it is the neon sign hanging in the back. Other than that, it's pretty garbage. <laughs> we go to the More main event of the... Not. Yes, mo- most often. We go to the main event of the Power Arts. Arn Anderson taking on Captain Mike Rotunda. They do a feeling out process to start. Head locks, chin locks, Rotunda with the old abdominal stretch with the pulling on the top rope. Finally, they start to slug it out. Rotunda sends Arn out to the floor. Beats him down outside. Arn Anderson, this blew me away. Not that, he, that the fact that he could do it, but it was just like I was in Bizarro World, to quote Vince McMahon. Arn Anderson with a slingshot sunset flip back into the ring. You don't see that every day. <laughs> from Arn Anderson, a baby face spot there. And then it's a long chin lock that follows by Rotunda, though. Arn breaks the chin lock, but Rotunda sets up for the old right off the flying clothesline. Arn ducks and Rotunda goes flying out to the floor. Arn back outside attacks Rotunda on the outside. And then back inside, it's the spine buster for a two count. Rotunda comes back with the O'Connor roll, but Arn kicks him off. And Rotunda goes flying back out to the floor. Back up onto the apron, Arn suplexes Mike back into the ring, but Rotunda grabs the rope, falls on top. The old Tito and Shawn Michaels finish from WrestleMania 8. But he only manages a two count because he's Mike Rotunda and not Shawn Michaels. And Arn Anderson with the inside cradle finally picks up the win. 14 minutes and 39 seconds. Not a not a bad match. Mike Rotunda's been on some pretty solid matches lately. You know, with That's what Claire I said. The, the guy's Arn gotten and... Yeah, the guy's gotten better. And they're using him less and less, and pretty soon he's going to be a fucking boat captain. So you see where that got him. <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, he's looked pretty good. Like, where the hell's the TV title run? That sort of deal. You know, it's... Uh, could you imagine if he could have worked right like there, this when the Varsity Club was around? He would have really uh, excelled. I mean, he probably would have got a bigger push. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, when he, like we talked about early on in the year, when he had the right opponent, he definitely could work, and he came to work. When he's just going through the motions with these jobbers and other things that don't really matter, he looks like shit. And he's getting in there with name opponents and um, putting on pretty decent matches. Wrestlers of the week this week are Arn and Ole Anderson, though they don't get an image. I don't think Ole would like that very much. Jim Ross says he's coming home for Christmas to Oklahoma. Jim Cordette tells him they don't even have Christmas in Oklahoma as we close out the power hour. And it's on December 23rd. Of course, there's no NWA Pro. It's missing in action. It does feature the Steiners and the Birds. The Birds get their rematch for the tag team titles. We'll we'll be looking at that match uh, later on in this episode of The Grenade. So it's on to NWA Worldwide. Quick results for December 23rd from Dayton, Ohio, December 5th taping. We get Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson over the State Patrol. The Wild Samoans over Paul Drake and Rick Fargo. Kevin Sullivan wins a squash match. And in the main event, it's the Steiner Brothers and Norman the Lunatic over Doom and Dan Spivey by disqualification. We move on to the 605 World Championship Wrestling, December 23rd, taped back on December 10th in the Greensboro Coliseum. So the final two weeks of WCW this year, Steve, not even in center stage, but rather the legendary Greensboro Coliseum. DeMeltz notes that the crowd was very small due to an ice storm. In fact, WWF actually canceled its competition show the night before in Winston-Salem because of the weather, but no, 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 not the NWA. 
<laughs> of course not. They got to get that show in, and I'm glad they did because uh, th- these crowds were hot in Greensboro, man. Like he's talking about, they had a lot of these crowds have been really good, and it was really nice that they did this uh, last couple of weeks. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, they you could tell when they pan out, you can see there's a lot of empty seats because of this weather. But the fans that showed up, man, it was the old Crockett fans. They really were. And in this week's and next week's episode of WCW were taped on the same show, the same, the December tenth. So it's all the same fans, the same night, and they stayed hot for the whole thing. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. No Kevin Sullivan here this week. I don't know if he missed his flight. I don't know if there was something to do with the weather. I don't know what the deal is. But so subbing for Kevin Sullivan, who is in Ireland. What an odd choice of a country for Jim Ross to choose here. Jim Ross is co-hosted with Gordon Soley for the next two weeks of WCW. We kick things off with the Midnight Express taking on Bobby and Jackie Fulton, the new Fantastics. As I watched this match get started, I wrote, they are just one player away from a classic match. Can you imagine it takes only one, like it takes all four guys to really have a classic match here and just sub Jackie out for Tommy Rogers and boom, another instant classic, but nope, it's not meant to be. And at least the Fantastics are still better than the dudes as I watched their offense here. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Bobby Fulton is great in here with the Midnights, and I should expect that because of their past performances together, both in the Mid-South and for Crockett. Uh, They do a great job selling for Bobby Fulton. Uh, And finally, the Midnights get some heat, and they do it on Bobby because he's probably better at doing that than Brother Jackie, the rookie. Um, But Bobby makes a comeback, face slams Bobby Eaton, Bulldog into the ground, and a hot tag to Jackie Fulton. Jackie takes out both of the Midnights, but Stan Lane breaks up the cover on Eaton, and we get a four-way melee. Stan Lane bumps Bobby Fulton to the floor, and it's a poor man's double goozle. It's basically a shove and a trip, almost a schoolboy tactic here. It didn't look as bad as it sounds, but it was not the typical double goozle. Lane just kind of shoved Jackie Fulton. Bobby just kind of tripped Jackie Fulton, and the Midnights pick up the win, nine minutes and 14 seconds. The finish was sloppy. It didn't look very good, but the match itself wasn't bad. Just your typical Midnight's match, really. Uh, it's good every time. Show goes on. It's a promo from the Total Package. Lex Luger, he talks all about Sting. He says, in a short while, it all comes down. Their past, their present, and future in the sport of the NWA. Luger says, this is for bragging rights, because he's going to wrestle Sting, I should have mentioned, because they're the two greatest athletes in professional wrestling. But it's for the U.S. title, too. Luger says there's so much feeling in this confrontation. He brought Sting along in the NWA, says the total package, and he sla- but Sting slapped Luger's face on national TV. Lex says the chair shot that he gave Stinger was just the start because he's going to take him out for good later on tonight in this program. And then we go back to the ring. It's the Andersons, Arn and Ole over the state patrol. The patrol cheat early, but Andersons dominate this match. And as Arn sets up for the Gord Buster, he looks at the crowd in Greensboro and says, who remembers this? And they pop loud as he nails the Gord Buster. Three minutes and 51 seconds. I loved Arn saying that line to the crowd before he hit the move. Yeah, he's definitely playing it up. He knew he was home in Greensboro. They knew he was going to get a pop. And why not? Why not play to the crowd? Uh, That's just about what it is. And since we're in the heart of horseman country here, the horseman's up on the stage with Jim Ross for a promo. Ric Flair says they are reunited, and it feels, oh, so good. They take great pride in who they are and what they've accomplished in this sport, and they're back together. Flair is proud to be out here with the horsemen once again. Ole 
has seen the Pretty Boys. Nobody has accused the Andersons of ever being Pretty Boys. Got that right, Oli. But they do one thing better than anybody else, and that's wrestle. Arn closes up saying that four lives took four separate trails in the past year. People asked Arn when he was gone, where was Ric Flair? Where was Ole Anderson? How could he have left the NWA? Arn had no answer for those people, but every week he watched the TV. Ric Flair didn't call Arn to come back home. Arn wanted to come back home. And he is home to stay this time because some things are going to change and the horsemen are back in the NWA. Yeah, Arn's been on fire with promos, man. So good. For a guy that wasn't even allowed to talk much of the last year. Uh, They they usually have Bobby do most of their promos for them. They didn't, but that's the way Titan wanted it. We move on with the show. It's Doom in the ring with Rick Ryder and Paul Drake. Doom coming down to great balls of fire. Is this a rib? Are you ribbing me? Like, Butch Reed is so embarrassed. He gets in the ring, grabs the mic immediately, and, and orders them to shut the music off. By the way, I should point out, makes no sense to me. Norman comes down to ringside and brings a bouquet of roses, but there's no woman out here to give them to. Doom destroys the job, guys. Ron with the spine buster, and then they use the old catapult shoulder block spot to get the win here on Ryder. Two minutes and 57 seconds. Yeah, did you hear the story here that Gordon Soley told about Norman? Mm. Uh, I don't have it in my notes, so I, I, said, might, uh, I might remember what you tell it to me, but I didn't take notes on it. He mentioned that Norman confronted woman at the airport in Atlanta <laughs> trying to give her some flowers or something. Oh, uh, I do remember that when Norman they were leaving the Starcade. Yes, I remember. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, woman kind of just shoved him off or whatever. And, uh, he's trying to do it here, but obviously there's no woman to be found. Yeah. I don't know what's with the music. Butch Reed was pissed off. As yeah. soon as he got in the ring, he went to the ref and kind of went off on him and, you can hear him yelling, turn that damn music off, and uh, he was pissed. I don't know if it was a rib or what the deal is. I thought this was it for um, Woman and Doom together. But, um, yeah, he was not happy with that music at all. No, yeah, she's still with them at this point, obviously. Um, this is actually taped before Starcade, but it's kind of funny because you get told by Bob Seger's people, stop using my, my music. And instead of cutting to generic music, you go and you use another real song. Makes sense. That's something I would just go do. So <laughs> Great Balls of Fire didn't last very long. If anybody watched Starcade with us or, or has watched Starcade 89, you'll see Doom actually picked up the theme that you know Doom for throughout 1990, early 91. So uh, didn't last very long one night. And Butch Reed was not happy with it. And it really made no sense. Maybe it was a joke. And they kind of <laughs> just like you said, uh, maybe ribbed him right there on TV. I have no idea, but Reed was know. Reed. Those was are two not... guys I wouldn't want to be. I think those are two guys I wouldn't want pissed off right. at me if I'm the sound guy. <laughs> so we get the rematch, the match that took place where it ended Tommy Young's career. It's Captain Mike Rotunda who stole the win over Tommy Rich last time. He's taking on Tommy Rich here in the rematch, and Kendall Wyndham comes to ringside during the match. Watches on. I wrote nothing here. They fight to the floor, double count out, six minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah, really wasn't much going on here, but th- this leads to, is this the, the double count match? out? Yeah, I think that's double count out, right? Yeah. Rotunda keeps trying to run, yeah. or he keeps jumping out of the ring or whatever you want to call it. I think, I believe that yeah, was a double count out, and then that leads to the lumberjack match. Yeah, that supposedly is next week, Sunday night, <laughs> on the main event, <laughs> Tommy Rich. Good Lord. Um, but anyway, yeah. Jim Ross talks to the dynamic dudes. Johnny Ace says, 
The dudes are playing Santa Claus thanks to Cornette for all the money. Fucking Johnny Ace. Shane Douglas has a contract in hand. He wants an anything goes match. And he dares Jim Cornette to come out and sign it. Notice he doesn't say who's involved in this anything goes match, but everyone just assumes it's the dudes versus the Midnights. We'll see what happens later on in the show. Johnny Ace with more shit promo. Shane Douglas. It's funny. They give Ace the opening line and then they have Shane close it every time. Uh, by actually getting across the, the actual storyline that they're in the middle of. <laughs> and while Ace says shit that has nothing to do with anything. Oh, yeah. It's not bad to, to go that route because Ace is terrible. His jokes are horrible and he's shit. Hey, Steve. He's, he's shit at everything he does. Hey, Steve, did I ever tell you about the time with the three bugs under the rug and I was a can of raid? Fuck you, Johnny Ace. No, no. Okay. <laughs> We move on with Kendall Wyndham taking on yeah. Lee Scott. Always good to see Lee Scott on her TV screen. Maybe not so much against Kendall Wyndham, but it is what it is. Gordon Soley mentions that Kendall is a former Golden Gloves boxing champion. I wrote, is this a gimmick? I looked it up. I couldn't find anything about this. I never heard this before on commentary during Kendall matches. Even Jim Ross seemed completely blown away by the comment. So I don't know if Gordon was trying to work that in there because Kendall's rocking that old blackjack mulligan glove. I don't really know what the deal was here. Maybe it is legit. I'm not sure. Kendall will finish his schooling later in life, says Gordon Sully, because he wants to make money right now. You can insert your jokes all you want right there, Steve. Kendall Wyndham wanting to make money here at the tail end of 1989. He wants to go where the dollars are, as in the counterfeit dollars, I would imagine. Kendall blocks Lee Scott's offense like a dick. Lee's literally doing things, and Kendall just blocking everything left and right. Shoot blocking it, mind you. And then the big boot and the bulldog. Kendall with a very quick win, thank God. Two minutes and 27 seconds. Hey, Steve, do you remember when the third Laurenitis brother, uh, not Johnny Ace, not Road Warrior Animal, but the Terminator debuted like, you know, 18 weeks ago on TV. And then, you know, he hasn't been back since. Well, he's finally <laughs> yeah, back to wrestle. He interrupted. <laughs> it was a, I think it was a it was Ranger. Ranger. Brawl. It was the flag match, right? Yeah, it was a flag match. Who the fuck uh, breaks up a flag match? What the fuck? Yeah, he beat up the Cuban and Ranger. Ross. When you've been building to that flag match. Like, yeah. Come on. Your, like anyway. your first November to remember dream match and the Terminator interrupts. That's how far back this goes. We're in like the fucking fourth week of December here. And so it's been like eight weeks, it feels like. Or so. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a long time. But the Terminator finally gets in the ring, taking on Agent Steel. And here we go. I wrote, isn't this name trademark too? WCW uh, NWA has a, a very bad problem with, with using trademark names. I mean, the Terminator in 89. I mean, that's a given, right? Terminator, yeah. uh, Mark Laurinaitis here, looks green and shitty. And there's you know how he got his job. So that that is what that is. He nails a back superplex, though. Picks up the win. Three minutes and 24 seconds. So hello to the Terminator. And goodbye to the Terminator. This is his one and only match in the NWA. Wow. I thought he looked a lot like Animal in the ring. Uh, the way they worked and everything. He looked a lot like him, so... I can see the potential. I can see why they had him. Too um, green. Too green to be working at ready, top. Not ready. Yeah. Yeah. That's not ready. You know, but, um, you know they did, he did work some in Florida before he came up, but Florida was almost nothing by that point. This is really truly where all the, the guys from that era say the death of the territories hurt a lot of guys from, you know, learning before they were brought up. And it shows in a situation yeah. like this right here. Jim Ross going to talk about Tommy Rich. Hey, Steve, somebody say something about a lumberjack match, brother. It's Tommy Rich. He says he talked to the officials, and next week 
on the main event, he's got Mike Rotunda in a lumberjack match. And I wrote, I did notice Tommy Rich looked like he's finally starting to trim down, looking a little more svelte as he's putting out a little better matches in the ring. But yeah, Tommy Rich getting his lumberjack match with Mike Rotunda. Well, I mean. It's tomorrow night. Well, isn't Sunday the beginning of a new week, though? Ah, see. I'm I'm just covering for Tommy here. I'm just covering for Tommy here. I I know that's absolutely inaccurate, and he has no fucking clue what the hell's going on. Well, he's like next. Well, I can I would buy it, but then he's like next week tomorrow night on Sun like Sunday, <laughs> right? Right. Event. Like he yeah. had no idea what he was even saying. So. I don't even know. And then Jim Ross had to correct him. It's tomorrow night on the main event in the lumberjack match. So yeah. Well, you know, Tommy goes now. back a long way with Buzz Sawyer. You know, so you see where I'm going there. Oh, They've well. been partying a little hard. Man, Hawk and Tommy and uh, Buzz probably having a hell of a time. Wow. Imagine <laughs> no if that, imagine if that was on videotape somewhere. Holy balls. Holy shit. Yes. Wow. We move on with a promo, Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette got called out earlier by the dudes if he had any balls to come out and sign the contract for the Anything Goes match. Cornette comes out and has no problem signing that contract, and then he finds out what it's really for. Well, ladies and gentlemen, earlier in the program, the Dynamic Dudes came out with this contract. And they requested that if you will sign it, they will have an Anything Goes match right here next week on World Championship Wrestling. You know, there's surprises in life all the time. There's surprises that come up. You got earthquakes, you got hurricanes, tornadoes. The Russian army sang the national anthem, God Bless America, at Kennedy Center. That's a big surprise. But you know what? The biggest surprise is, hold this, Bobby. The biggest surprise is that the dynamic dudes would have the guts in their stinking wretched bodies to come out here and propose to have an anything goes match with the Midnight Express and especially right here on TV where we've humbled them so many times before. So after we defeated the Fantastics so easily just a little earlier, I saw that interview with the dudes and I said, brother, for that $10,000 that the dude stole from us, if you want an anything goes match, you've got an anything goes match. I can't believe how stupid they would be. And I don't feel sorry for stupid people. Give me that contract. I'm going to sign this thing. Don't you want to read it? You're not going to read it? What? I know what it is. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you what. Next week, when the Midnight Express faces the Dynamic Dudes and an anything goes match, it's going to be the greatest thing anybody ever saw, isn't it now? Well, can I add one thing to that? What? You- this contract does not say the Midnight Express versus the Dynamic Dudes. This contract says next week, you just signed it, you are going to wrestle Shane Douglas in an Anything Goes match next week, and I got the contract. I got the contract, and you're not getting it. Fans, you done signed it. It's too late. Fans, let's go to the ring. The weekly angles just continue here between the Midnights and the Dynamic Dudes. Yeah, they do. Jim Ross is great there at the end. He's like, you signed it. I got it. You ain't getting it back. So uh, great job by Ross. But yeah, this is excellent. Jim Cornette does this the best. I mean, I know it's Memphis style and things like that. Obviously, they do some great shit, too. Um, But Cornette's awesome at it as well. And really, really makes you care about the feud. I know the dudes suck, but at the end of the day, like they keep on doing things that make you want to tune in to see what happens. Like I was excited to see Shane and Cornette next week. So it's the better half of the dudes that's in the ring. So that, huh. and, but just leave me out, Steve. That's right. I will. I guess, I guess I'm just going to go suck Shane's dick. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> oh Lord. But no, move, it's uh, uh, really good stuff, man. Yeah. Great stuff. Every single week by Jim Cornette and the midnights and the dudes, uh, the story itself. I mean, 
uh, not necessarily the dudes in the ring. As the show goes on, Ranger Ross and Eddie Gilbert team up, taking on the team of the Galaxians. Now Ken Wayne has arrived, so it is Danny Davis and Ken Wayne, the former Nightmares, who have worked just about everywhere. And before that, they were the former Galaxians in Memphis, managed by Jim Cornette. As the faces control the Galaxians early here, they get heat on Ranger Ross through the Masked Men. Ross, with some quick pinfall attempts, but very sloppy, I noted. Galaxian misses a charge in the corner. I don't know if it's Alpha or Beta. One of them does. And he crotches himself on the middle turnbuckle, and that allows Ranger Ross to get the hot tag to hot stuff. It's a four-way melee as Gilbert and Ranger actually collide. I couldn't believe this. The job guys, the Galaxians, reverse the Irish whips and sing Gilbert and Ranger colliding, but then it made sense when we got to the finish. As Ranger gets tossed to the floor, the Galaxians hit the ropes together to look for maybe a double clothesline, but Ross trips one of the Galaxians up, and the other one runs right into the arms of the waiting Eddie Gilbert and the hot shot. Gilbert and Ranger Ross pick up the win, 9 minutes, 29 seconds. I wrote, Eddie Gilbert has won more matches with the hot shot in the last few weeks than all year long combined. Crazy, huh? Must be like, okay, I did that shit for Buzz. Now I'm getting a win with my move. <laughs> and that's the end of it. I'm sure that there's some negotiations there. Um, <laughs> especially if there's some heat, you know. He's, it's like crazy, you know, you don't, he doesn't win all year this way. He always has to win with a roll up or a fluke type pin. And then all of a sudden, the last couple of weeks, he's winning with a hot shot. So there had to be some give and take there going for that to happen, is my guess. We move on with the show. It's the big time. What a big time match for television. U.S. champion Lex Luger taking on former friend Sting. Sting in control early on in the match, but he runs into a knee of Lex Luger as he tries his stinger splash early in the match. Sting, though, slams Lex off the top rope and Luger bails to the floor. Lex tries to ram Sting into the guardrail once on the outside, but Sting reverses and it's Luger who eats the steel. Sting continues to dominate for a good six and a half minutes of the match as he finally takes a spill to the floor but lands on his feet and comes right back in with a crossbody off the top rope for a two count. Stinger then tries a second crossbody, but he's caught by Luger and kind of eats a hot shot out of the top turnbuckle in the corner and then Sting out to the floor. So Luger takes over here. He presses Sting down and gets a two count. Then the big clothesline, but Sting pops up. He hulks up from a clothesline and pounds away on Lex Luger. That's when the total package goes outside and grabs a chair. He misses a wild swing with it, but Sting with a schoolboy and gets the near fall. Stinger then props Luger up in the corner, tries for the Stinger splash, but Luger reaches down, picks up the chair. Great spot, great timing. Stinger with a Stinger splash into the steel chair being held by Luger. Referee calls for the disqualification. Sting picks up the DQ win, 11 minutes. Yeah, this is really good. A uh, very fun match. You knew the DQ finish was coming, just not gonna you're not gonna get either one of these guys to do the job. They can't at this point. But it was fun while it lasted, huh? <laughs> no, it was good. Very it was a good, good match. TV match, yeah, definitely for sure. And post match, Luger actually tosses referee Nick Patrick from the ring. He grabs the chair, raises it over top of Singh. He's gonna do Sting in once and for all. But Ric Flair makes the save, albeit briefly, before JTEX hits the ring and attacks Flair and Sting. So it's Luger and JTEX doing a number on the Stinger and the Nature Boy, until Ole and Arn Anderson try to even up the odds. They make the save, and I love the brawl because it's tip basically the horseman, if you count Sting if you want to, against JTEX, and Luger runs out, jumps out of the ring, grabs his belt, and runs away 100 miles an hour. Tremendous stuff by Lex Luger there as uh, the brawl continues between JTEX and the horseman. 
Yeah, did you see at the end, though, he came back and went to the other side of the ring and laid in some punches on Flair while he was trying to roll out. I didn't catch that, but that sounds, even, that, yeah. that sounds hilarious, though. I wish I had noted I, I that. I even put down, like, I was like, Luger's being the smart one and hightailing it out of there, but then he sees Flair guy got his ass kicked in the ring, and he's rolling out, so he runs over there and lays in some more shots, and Good then stuff. he hightails it out of there. Yeah, Luger's on top of it, man. He's on top of his game. We get a pre-tape promo with Flying Brian and the Z-Man. They say the Freebirds are moaning about their loss to the Steiners, the World Tag Team titles. They refer to Michael Hayes as Michael P.M.S. Hayes. You probably can't do that nowadays. <laughs> Zink and Pillman. <laughs> Zink and Pillman you see said. see Z-Man bust out there? <laughs> he, said, he said P.M.S. Hayes, and then Zink just lost it. He started laughing. Like, it looked legit. Oh, okay. He wasn't yeah, I didn't catch that. It, and he just started dying laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pillman said it, and then Zink just starts dying laughing. Like, it's hilarious. And yeah. then he has to cut his own promo. Well, in that in that instance, I'm sure Zink had no idea what Pillman was going to say, <laughs> so that makes sense, too. Uh, yeah, but they tell the birds they're not stepping stones for anyone. So that little mini birds and Zink and Pillman feud we kind of saw, saw starting a few weeks ago, it looks like it's going to continue on here. Back to the ring. It's the New Zealand Militia with Lord Littlebrook over Mike Thor and Sean Regal. After they nail the old wrecking ball and the double gourd buster on Regal, they pick up the win three minutes and 44 seconds. And then again, Littlebrook puts the boots to the job, guys, after the match. Tag team action continues. Flying Brian and the Z-Man taking on nasty Ned Brady and Bob Cook. Pillman with the Rainmaker clothesline at one point. I know he wasn't trying, but that's what he did. So at this point, he has now invented the sling blade and the Rainmaker here in 1989. Uh, Pillman with a drop kick into like Tom's. What's that? <laughs> What'd you say? I love the Rainmaker. Uh, so good. Well, Anyways. they took a bump like it was, so it looked okay. I mean, I mean Okada's Rainmaker. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, I get you. I get you. Tom Zink picks Brady up into a back suplex position, and Pillman with a drop kick. Sends Brady down, and the babyfaces pick up a very quick win here. One minute and nine seconds. And then the Freebirds come to ringside, and a brawl ensues between the Birds and Zink and Pillman as the show comes to a close. And then they announce that this is a match. I wrote, this is a match? What the fuck? They say they're going to show the match in its entirety next week on TV, so you're telling me Pillman and Zink just finished the match, and then this became a match? I don't get it. Didn't they do this earlier in the in the year too, where they did a match and wasn't it who was it Flair and Slater somebody? But but Slater called Flair out. Uh, he beat the they, he never Didn't actually Flair had that match. match. No, no, Slater oh, okay. came, he was supposed to work a job guy, and the match never started. Yeah. Slater kicked his ass and threw him out of the ring and said, "Get out here, Ric Flair." Here, Pillman and Zink have a match if you want to call it that. Went a minute. And the birds come to ringside, and all of a sudden there's a referee. And Jim Ross just knows this is a match. So I just thought it was really odd booking to close out the show. But I'm sure it was a fun way to close out the show, though. You get to see a, you know, a couple of uh, higher-level tag teams, if you want to call Zink and Pillman that at this point. Uh, you're closing the show, and you know, hey, I already know how the next week's going to open. There's going to be a, a top-level tag team, at least name value-wise. There's going to be you know some top-tier players out there when the show gets going. So it's a good way to keep people wanting to come back, I suppose, even if it does involve the birds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, this feud lasts all the way to wrestle war. <laughs> when do they bring back the U S tag titles? It has uh, to be soon. I think like February, maybe. I mean, I could be wrong, but it's, yeah, it's I, I know the birds, they defend the titles against 
Pillman and Zink at Wrestle War. Wrestle or the Bird or Pillman and Zink defend them against the Birds. I can't remember. Uh, I think Pillman and Zink win them right in the tournament, maybe. So I don't and, remember, man. And they defend them against the Birds at Wrestle War. So like that's only two months away. That's uh, so we're gonna miss the tournament, huh? Yeah. We'll miss, uh, yep, U.S. tag titles just randomly disappeared way, way, way back in the summer, and we'll never see them again here in 1989 anyway. We move on to the following they nighters. They use them, you know, though, like, their top oh, teams God. are so... We've, yeah, we've been saying that for, for fucking weeks. <laughs> All their teams they have, they, their have, top teams are they have one belt. So damn, like, strong, you know, like, their top teams are so strong that it's hard to even... Like if you job them out, like they're gonna look like shit. So like having that U.S. tag title, like a IC type title, where you have a bunch of teams that can really work and go at it, like the dude, not the dudes, but the the Midnight's, Pillman and Zinc, the Freebirds, those second tier tag teams that would look great. Uh, you know, give them something to wrestle for. You know, but, yeah, it's um, it's silly to think that they had the U.S. tag titles back when they had like six teams at, at best. And now that they have like twelve teams, they only have the one 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 tag belts. I I don't get it. Obviously, that'll they'll change that in nineteen ninety, but it's just odd. Here in the latter half of eighty nine, seems obvious that you should be bringing these belts back. Yeah, absolutely. We move on to Sunday night in the NWA main event for December twenty fourth, Christmas Eve. Hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert takes on the Italian Stallion. Lance Russell on commentary. This was taped back December fifth in Dayton, Ohio. Lee Scott. Is the referee here, Steve? Did you catch that? I definitely did. I'm gonna put down. He got tired of getting his ass kicked, so he's a ref now. I think he does end up doing some more jobs off and on uh, early on in 1990. Yeah, as uh, anybody who followed WCW back then, you know Lee Scott does eventually become a referee. I, I would assume that had a lot to do with lingering um, injuries or, or things of that nature because Dude. of the nonsense that he went through here in 1989. Dude took so much punishment in 89, like that's all he needed. Uh, he, yeah. he doesn't need any more. It's a feeling out process here to start as Gilbert and Stallion are tex- technically both baby faces. Stallion getting the better of Gilbert early on and Eddie complaining to the referee. Kendall Wyndham pops up ringside as there's a lot of shoving going on now. Eddie getting Eddie getting a little heated. Stallion keeps one-upping him throughout the match and it's pissing hot stuff off. Eventually, they trade some snug shots to Stallion. Fires up, but runs into a hot shot. To end the year, Eddie Gilbert, another hot shot. Picks up the win here, 8 minutes, 42 seconds, and they slap hands after the match. So Eddie was getting a little fired up there near the end, but he won the match, so he's back to being a babyface. Yep, not a bad match. Tanks Stallion's pretty good, man. Yeah, no, he was he was good. Um, unfortunately, he let himself go a little bit there, and uh, wasn't the... You always going to get a decent, decent jobber match when he's in the ring. Oh, I agree, absolutely. Like later, like later on. We'll move on with the show. It's the Road Warriors and Steiners in a promo, again, selling the eight-man tag team matches. They claim woman brought in the Wild Samoans now, too, so they're kind of mentioning that the skyscrapers might not be involved in these eight-man tags without actually telling you that they're not involved. Hawk calls it a spectacle grandeur, four of them, and he says he has to say it twice because actually the entire promo was the Roadies and Scott Steiner, then Hawk has to go, there's four of us. I said there's four of us, and then Rick... Pops up from out of nowhere underneath the camera to close out the promo. Back to the ring. New Zealand militia with Lord Littlebrook taking on the dynamic dudes. This was from the NWA Pro Show. So we get another pro match. December 16th pro taped in Bristol, Tennessee. Back in December 3rd, the militia sent to the floor early as the dudes dominate with sloppy and shitty offense. I wrote Jack O. Victory pulls down the rope 
and Johnny Ace has to jump twice to go over it. Just awful, <laughs> Steve. How does he not know awful. better? I've seen that awful, spot man. screwed up so many times where the guy pulls the top rope down and the other guy doesn't get the proper leverage. He doesn't take the bump over the thing, and it looks like shit. They got to kind of bump out underneath the ropes or through the ropes or whatever. Johnny Ace literally try. How tall is Johnny Ace to begin with? And he can't jump over the top rope. But he jumps and doesn't make it. He stops and then he jumps again. Uh, terrible. Just absolutely made everything look fake here. As the militia then get heat on Ace. Rip Morgan misses a middle rope elbow or something like that. As the uh, Ace finally makes the hot tag to Shane Douglas. Victory tags in as well. It's a four-way melee with the Midnights. And Jim Cornette running distraction at ringside. Lord Littlebrook. Na- uh, nails Shane Douglas with a cane. I loved it. I didn't see that coming at all. It seemed it, it was just hilarious watching Littlebrook run across the ring with a cane and cracking Shane from behind. <laughs> Jack Victory covers, and even the militia can beat the dynamic dudes here. Five minutes and two seconds. I wrote, "Holy shit, dudes jobbed even to the militia." That's not exactly how it ends, though, is it? It's the refer- not. the referee turns around, and because he sees Littlebrook's hat in the ring. He reverses the decision. The dudes beat the militia by disqualification. I wrote, lame. Seriously, you see a hat in the ring? You saw nothing transpire. How did that hat even get there? Perhaps a fan threw it in. But uh, apparently the referee, that was all he needed to see was a hat in the ring to reverse the decision here. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> I could see if he saw him use the weapon. Right. But just a hat laying in the ring. Like, What if on. the cane? Why, why not leave the cane in the ring? Ace could have just took his hat off outside and threw it in. Like, how, how do you know how the hell it got there? Like, that's yeah, stupid. But uh, very, whatever. That's, that's not the dumbest DQ we get this week. <laughs> There's another one coming up. My God. They must have, like, you know what? It's the end of the year. Let's just try something creative. Let's try something stupid. Who cares? Nobody, um, nobody's watching. It's Christmas. Let's just do whatever whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Let's just do whatever the hell we want. It's time for a horseman promo. It's Flair, Ole, and Arn Anderson. Flair said he promised the biggest surprise in his career, and he made it happen. Arn Anderson is back with his cousin Ole in the NWA. They talk Lex Luger. Remember, when you close your eyes tonight, Lex Luger, Ric Flair says, to be the man, you've got to beat the man. He also talks about JTEX. They're going to have the most miserable New Year. I'd say so because they'll be dismantled pretty shortly after the New Year will JTEX. Oli calls the Dragon Master by his real name, Sakurata, then corrects himself, has to go back and call him the Dragon Master. And that's not even the last time Oli does this. <laughs> no, it's not. Back to the ring. It's the big match. You remember the one that was supposed to happen next week, brother? It's Wildfire Tommy Rich taking on Captain Mike Rotunda in a Lumberjack match, also taped. Man, Dayton had a lot of matches taped on December 5th. Tommy Rich actually attacks Captain Mike to get going. This match was made, obviously, because we pointed out earlier on World Championship Wrestling, Rotunda kept trying to run out of the ring and, and, and ba- bail out and, and stall, and I'm surprised Lex Luger didn't have a bunch of Lumberjack matches for the same reason. The Lumberjacks here, a star-studded lineup, if you ever heard one. It's the Italian Stallion, the State Patrol, Kendall Wyndham, Trent Knight, Paul Drake, Ned Brady, and the Dynamic Dudes. What a group jobbers and the dudes how do you feel right now if you're the dudes out here with this motley crew of job guys besides the dudes and kendall winham everybody else is just jobbing every week on tv i think rick Ryder was out there too yeah not an ideal lineup for uh the lumberjacks (laughs) 
pretty rough. Is this how depleted their roster is, or this is just who they want to get? Who's this willing is who to go they want out, out here in a Tommy Rich and Mike Rotunda match is what it is. I think that's pretty much what it is. So Kendall Wyndham's out there for a reason. I have no idea why the board, again, another rib on the dudes here. You guys go out there and work this, this lumberjack match. Both guys, <laughs> Rich and Rotunda, wind up getting tossed out of the ring at separate times. It's noted that Kendall Wyndham just kind of stands there. He never helps, never gets involved, never throws anybody back in the ring. Chin locks and shit. I wrote, who thought of this match as a TV feud? Tommy Rich and Mike Rotunda. Now, again, both guys have upped their game, but I just, I don't know, like out of all the guys you could be uh, putting on TV week to week, and it's these two. Mike Rotunda does the old abdominal stretch spot. Tommy Rich counters with a backdrop and a shitty dropkick. Rotunda then tries for a body slam, but he can't slam fucking Tommy Rich. Tommy's too heavy for Mike Rotunda to slam. He takes a back bump and Tommy Rich with a two count there. Tommy then locks in a chin lock. The crowd just barely making noise as Mike Rotunda tries to run, but thrown back inside the ring again and more chin locks from both guys. Aren't you glad the Lumberjacks allowed this to happen? They should have just let Rotunda run off. We we would have been better all, all for the better for me anyway. Tommy Rich then with a garbage dump Thez press. I wrote that because it looked worse than usual. Just terrible shit i don't know why he continues to even use the move rotunda manages to escape and out to the floor where he gets into a fight with shane douglas probably the only guy worthwhile on the entire lumberjack team or whatever you want to call him out there but meanwhile back in the ring with the distraction going on the camera completely misses kendall windham sliding into the ring and nailing tommy rich with a loaded glove Rotunda thrown back inside. He crawls on top and makes the cover. Rotunda steals another win from Tommy Rich. Thanks to Kendall Wyndham. We do see the loaded glove shot in instant replay, but of course, live in the match, we, the camera, once again, doing what they do all year long. They missed the spot. Yep. Nothing new there. Uh, they had to give us one last missed shot or angle or moment. That's necessary to see, to kind of get the story going on. But, um, Mike Rotunda hit a huge right-off clothesline in the, oh, yeah. towards the end of this yeah, match, yep. and it was awesome. Other than that, it was what you would expect from a Tommy Rich-Mike Rotunda match. Very boring. They upped their game a little bit. It wasn't a ton of rest holds, but uh, with Rotunda not being able to go out to the floor and milk it and do the stupid stuff that he does to kind of break up to his matches, it, it was flat. And the job, like, it was terrible. Like Nobody cares who's out there. Just very, I don't know, lackluster. So they're setting up a Kendall Wyndham Tommy Rich feud, which never really comes to fruition, luckily for everyone. And Merry Christmas, everyone, yeah, as that ends the <laughs> that that concludes the main event for Christmas Eve. As we go on to the ratings, the power hour for December twenty second with Arn and Rotunda draws a one point eight. Demelt says that was the lowest in a while. But it is the Friday heading into Christmas, after all, Steve, so you have to expect these type of things. December 23rd, World Championship Wrestling with Sting and Luger draw a 3.3. But the main event, or the main match with Sting and Luger, a 3.7. Insane. People were definitely tuning in for that one. And Christmas Eve main event, 2.5 rating. And uh, Melt says that's strong for the holiday. I'd have to agree. For Christmas Eve night, not a bad rating for the main event as we move on. This is it, Steve. It's the- Wasn't the... What's up? I will say, wasn't the power hour on at 11.05 that week? Too? Yes. Yes, it got bumped up later in the night. Yep, that's yeah, correct. Yeah, so that's that's another reason why the ratings probably weren't as good. I mean, I, I think that's just a, a just unfortunate set of circumstances, all things considered. Uh, power hour has been pretty solid, so probably just being on at 11. 
And it's time, Steve, we move on to the final week of 1989 TV. This is it. It's the final week of television here in the NWA in 1989. We kick things off with the NWA Power Hour, our final Power Hour of 89, December 29th, taped on December 11th in Raleigh, North Carolina, the old Dorton Arena, one of the old Crockett strongholds. The Midnight Express in the ring taking on the Galaxians, Alpha and Beta, Jim Cornette ringside, but he decides to join commentary. And this is where he alludes, he says, trivia buffs may know that Cornette knew the Galaxians real well, and they worked together better as any tag team, perhaps, except for the Midnight Express. Corny alluding to when he managed the Galaxians. I believe the Galaxians were the first males that Corny managed. Of course, people might know that Cornette's first charge that he manages was actually Sherry Martell for about a week there in Memphis, but the Galaxians came in shortly thereafter. So he knows Danny Davis and Ken Wayne very well, and uh, they're out here to have a good match with the Midnights. I'm sure Bobby Eaton knows them well, too, from all the time down there in Memphis and whatnot. They put on a really solid match here. It shows here early and often. They're, they're no typical job guys. They know what they're doing. They're crisp and clean, and they work together very well as a tag team because they've been off and on teaming here for, God, the better part of the 1980s anyway. It's a four-way melee late in the match that leads to the Midnight Express out on the floor. And stereo suicide dives from the Galaxians. I bet you didn't see that one coming, Steve. I did not. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Really awesome. Uh, this is a good match. Uh, as the match goes on, Stan Lane lowers the ropes and one of the Galaxians takes the bump out to the floor. They show Johnny Hayes how to do it right. And then the Midnight's with the heat on the Galaxians. Eventually, Alpha gets the hot tag to Beta, or maybe it's Beta getting the hot tag to Alpha. I really have no idea. But the Midnights make a blind tag, eating to Stan Lane, and they nail the double flapjack, pick up the win. Another crisp finish. The Midnights pick up the win 10 minutes and 33 seconds. Jim Cornette obviously closes with the line. The Midnight Express didn't invent tag team wrestling. They just perfected it. He ain't wrong. And we move on with WNN. It's our final WNN of the grenade as we talk more Japan news, says Gordon Sully. This is just nonsense and unnecessary. He says two more challengers are going to be challenged for NWA's or Ric Flair's NWA world title, but he cannot re- release the names because they haven't signed the contracts yet. I wrote, what is the point of this? Then Gordon puts over the December 31st main event year in review show. He also talks to Norman who painted a portrait of woman or as Gordon called it a portrait of woman. I'm s- Kevin Sullivan is uh, warning Norman of pending disaster says Gordon Sully. Don't trust woman. She's a problem. Devious and dangerous. Norman getting into going to get himself in all kinds of trouble. So right out of the fire, frying pan and into the fire from Teddy Long into woman here. And then Gordon, just like last week, it was Merry Christmas this week. Happy New Year. And then Gordon telling everyone, don't drink and drive. Probably just drink if I know Gordon Sully. Yeah, nice uh, PSA there uh, by Gordon Sully. It's kind of funny. It's it's kind of funny. They did that at the start of the year, too, if you remember. Eddie Gilbert, and I don't remember who else was out there doing a PSA of the, uh, similar. Yeah, it's smart. I mean, if people are watching, you know, be smart. Don't do anything stupid. Don't drink and drive. Get an Uber. Get a taxi. Get a 1989 get a Uber. That's do. right. That's right. Get a 1989 Uber. <laughs> I'm talking about now. But back I then, know. Get a taxi. Get a limo. Get a buddy that's not an alcoholic or a drunk <laughs> or wants to drink. And uh, if you can find one and, you know, have a good night. Show goes on. It's World Tag Team Champions, the Steiners versus the Freebirds. This is from Pro from last week. This is the Freebirds return match. They finally get the return match since losing the belts to the Steiners. And yes, Steve, we get it one last time. 
Bob Caudle and Lance Russell together on commentary. The Steiners toy with the birds early on. Rick runs into a Jimmy Garvin boot and gets tossed to the floor where Michael Hayes tosses him into the guardrail. The birds get Rick Steiner into the corner and begin double teaming him. Then they start trading chin locks. What great offense here from the fabulous Freebirds. Woman and Nitron appear ringside, as does Norman, who continues to take pictures of Woman. Rick Steiner, meanwhile, back inside with an overhead belly-to-belly and a hot tag to Scott Steiner, and Jimmy Garvin also tags out to Michael Hayes. It's a Frankensteiner on Michael P.M.S. Hayes as Garvin breaks up the count and another four-way melee as Woman takes the shoe off and hands it to Michael Hayes on Scott Steiner. One, two, three. Dear God. I wrote, oh, fuck no. The Freebirds have regained the World Tag Team titles in seven minutes and 18 seconds. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but thank God for Norman, who manages to take a picture of woman cheating, handing the shoe to Michael Hayes and shows it to the referee. I thought this made far more sense, though, than the Littlebrook hat, because at least there's actually evidence in a picture of them using the shoe. And the best thing Norman has done all year, getting the belts back to the Steiners from the Freebirds. For that alone, I think Norman deserves a year-end award keeping the belts off the birds. It's a reverse decision and the Steiners will retain. Yeah, it's crazy. Like two straight shows, we see this hokey type finish that they have going on. So like this one did make sense. Uh, Obviously there's a picture proof evidence that it happened, but you know, you see it on the show earlier with um, a little militia and the dude. So it just kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. It was creative, I guess. At least they got something out of, uh, the stalking gimmick with, you know, without other than what they're trying to get out of it. So um, I guess it's a nice way to play on things. You, you want to hear something funny? I'll try to do this fast here. I know we got a couple of episodes of TV to go. Um, used to do go to a lot of indie shows in the mid-90s, quite a bit around here. And uh, there was a guy who attended all the shows. He was always front row, and he always had a Polaroid camera. And he was, um, to put it politely, probably on the slower side of things. Very much a Norman, not, not in size, but very, you know, the character of Norman was, I mean, this is probably this guy's real life and he had a Polaroid and he actually took a picture one time of a heel cheating and kept trying to show it to the referee after the match. And the crowd popped huge that this guy was doing this. Of course, that wasn't supposed to be the finish. So the referee had to keep ignoring the picture. So I felt bad for him, but, uh, it's kind of funny to see life imitate art, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, in 1989, you know, just uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. Like one week they may look at it, the next week they're not going. They're just going to ignore it. So uh, that was very clever. He was for just at the wrong, yeah, yeah. And he was. It sounds like that guy was at the wrong show at the wrong time. You yeah. know, he needs to go back a few years and hit up Nick Patrick, and he might get <laughs> might get somewhere. Yeah. We move on. <laughs> it's uh, Funk's Grill, and I wrote, "Could it get any sillier than this?" It's the final Funk's Grill of 1989, and it does not disappoint. As it's Norman once again painting a portrait, and on the other side, it's Lord Littlebrook standing on a platform, almost like statuesque. This is absolutely ridiculous here. Three Ring Circus. As Terry Funk does interview Littlebrook, however, he talks about the Queen. She's impressed with the militia, and they will have new outfits in the coming weeks. So we're going to completely miss the royal family look, unfortunately, here. I think we missed it by like a week, too, which is just unfortunate. Terry Funk then tells a Little Brooks story, which you kind of went into earlier. You didn't really talk about it, but you you talked, you mentioned it. 
And you could just tell by the way Terry told this story, it felt like a shoot, right? Mm-hmm. It just kind of came out. Yeah, it, it flowed out of Terry's mouth. He talks about a shyster promoter in Abilene, Texas. Uh, it was supposed to be a midget match, Little Brook against another small guy, and the opponent didn't show up. So the promoter decided he'd go get his five foot eight inch brother to take on Little Brook and is another slap in Brook's face. He decided to name his brother Andre the Midget. Obviously, he's five foot eight. Absolutely silly. However, it was Brooke who pinned that midget and made him pay. I thought that was a pretty cool story Terry Funk told there. I I don't know when that took place. I might go deep diving into results to try to find that. But a uh, hell of a story from the Funker here to put over. How, how tough, no matter no matter what size, how tough of a man Little Brook is. Yeah, it's, I liked it because it did. It makes you okay. He, he's a little guy, but he's a tough some bitch too. Like he can beat up people. He's not. He may be small in stature, but he still has a lot that he can do to, you know, hurt people. And, and you got to believe him. And when Terry Funk's putting you over like that, I mean, you're just going to take it a little bit more serious. It looks yeah, like a can... joke at first, like I said. Right. But when you hear this, it's, it's like, okay, this dude's beating up dudes that are a foot taller than he is. And um, hell, maybe two feet taller than him. And probably he probably stretched him and did some things in that match uh, just to get back at the promoter. Yeah, after this, you just really buy in a little bit more to the militia and Lord Littlebrook for sure. Yeah. You could tell by the way, Terry told the story too. He was trying to get respect for Littlebrook. Terry clearly respected Littlebrook here. Uh, as the promo goes on though, they kind of take it back towards the NWA as uh, Littlebrook doesn't want to, he doesn't like the word little. So even though it's in his name, so the Funker decides he's going to call him Lord Big Brook, which Littlebrook likes. And Norman's still over there painting his portrait of woman which, again, we won't see here in 1989. As we go back to the ring for the main event, it's U.S. champion Lex Luger taking on Ranger Ross. As a feeling out process starts the match, Ranger with some offense, but Luger, as usual, bails to the floor. I don't know when Luger found out that, that, that this works, but, man, he's been utilizing it every week, taking these powders out to the floor. Ranger, though, back inside, works the arm of the total package. Luger finally returns and grinds on Ranger Ross on the mat. Ross tossed to the floor several times throughout the match, but he fires up. Lex Luger holds on to the ropes during an O'Connor roll, though, and he turns around to the combat kick. Didn't we see that spot earlier? Uh, unfortunately, not the same finish uh, as it was against Agent Steel. Uh, Luger near the ropes. He nails Luger with the combat kick, and Luger actually bumps into the ropes, saves Luger from doing the job. As Ranger char- charges in, Luger moves. LaRosse takes a bump out to the floor. Back up onto the apron, Lex Luger nails him with a clothesline and a suplex, a simple vertical suplex, back into the ring. Lex Luger picks up the win, 9 minutes, 41 seconds. Yeah, not a bad match. My favorite part of this match was Cornette at the beginning. He's like, you know, I used to say a lot of things about Lex Luger and uh, just about the way he feels about himself. And he kind of made the point of, if you look as good as he does and you're as good as he is at what he does, you'd feel the same way. And then he made the comment of, He's not conceded. He's convinced. And that's, I, I really think that sums up Lex Luger in 1989. Like, he's convinced in everything he's saying and doing. He believes all of it. And when you have that belief in yourself, uh, this is what you get. Like, I knew, like, he was good in 1989. But being able to see all the promos and just the matches with the range of people, like like you mentioned before, Tommy Rich, he, had, he got a good match out of Tommy Rich. 
he had a damn good match out with Steamboat, obviously with uh, with Flair and you know all those guys that he's wrestled. He, he hasn't had a bad match, and he's reinvented himself. He's not just going in there doing the same five set of moves and then doing a torture rack and going home. Like he right. beat Ranger Ross with a suplex. He's beating people with superplexes. He's beating people with clotheslines. He's beating people with the torture rack. He's he's just coming up with different ways to have a match, and um, he's just it's it's crazy what happened as soon as he turned heel like, like a light switch went off and he took it to a whole nother level so um and that was a great way to summarize it the way jim Cornette sold it there just right. really good stuff from him yeah definitely and we close out the final power hour of the year the final wrestler of the week for the year klondike bill's choice this week is the stinger which makes sense coming out of starcade again no pro for december 30th but we do have worldwide for December 30th, 1989, taped in Raleigh, North Carolina from December 11th. It's Terry Funk and Chris Cruz on commentary. We kick things off with a quick Lex Luger pre-tape promo. He says, just when you were getting a little bored, Steve, the greatest wrestler alive today will defend his U.S. title against a worthy opponent. As we go to the ring, we find out that worthy <laughs> opponent is the Italian Stallion. They even suggest that maybe Lex selected his opponent here for the U.S. US title match. Lex plays around, and Stallion has enough of it. He actually clotheslines and dropkicks Luger out of, the, out of the ring, and Luger is pissed off. Stallion even suplexes him back inside, but Lex counters a headlock with a back suplex, a backbreaker, and Stallion runs into a boot before Lex comes off with that middle rope clothesline, picks up the win, 3 minutes, 38 seconds. So we just ended Power Hour with a Luger match. We pick right back up here in Worldwide Luger with another win. It's on to the New Zealand Militia with Lord Littlebrook in their corner taking on Larry Santo and Rick Newsom. Double Gord Buster ends it on Newsom in 1 minute and 18 seconds. I loved it here post-match. Littlebrook with a flying double stomp off of Victory's Jacko Victory's back. So a fun spot there as Littlebrook continues to beat up the job guys post-match. And it's on to an NWA update with Chris Cruz. He talks about Norman aiding the Steiners and beating the, the Freebirds in that reverse decision. We then get a promo from Norman. He apologizes to woman for showing her giving the shoe to the birds. Norman likes both the Steiners and woman, but he doesn't like cheating, Steve. He's sorry to woman, but he's not sorry for what he did. <laughs> Could you imagine a barn burner of a match between Norman and Nitron? Oh, God. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a quality. Oh, man, that's what we need. Well, there's that no singles opponents. Yeah. For, for Norman, right? Well, whoever woman's going to have, maybe, maybe they're grooming Nitron for a big Norman feud here in 1990. Oh Lord. Like big sky in the ring or Nitron? Like, like Nitron. He had man. Some, he's he, not big he sky still, yet. Was he still green? As, oh, he was. was still I, green as shit fucking, as I don't even sky? know. Yeah. He, he was still not very good at big sky, but you can imagine <laughs> the reason why they never even let him do anything here is his Nitron. He looked awesome. And I think yeah. if you, Put him in the ring. You're just going to expose how terrible he is, and then Absolutely. he just loses all. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the Dragon Master after he lost his lost the fedora and the glasses. Like and as soon as he took that like, shit off, nobody cared anymore. Yeah, and then when they put him in the ring, really nobody fucking gave a shit anymore too. <laughs> exactly. This is the, this so. is what I was supposed to be afraid of. What the fuck? So we go back to the ring. It's right. Arn and Ole Anderson teaming up against Mike Thor and Nasty Ned Brady. Insert promo from Gary Hart. He says the Horsemen are three jackasses but refers to Sting as a face-painted Arabian, which I know from Red Dead Redemption is a pretty good horse, so he's kind of putting Stinger over here. They don't necessarily worry about the horsemen, the Andersons and Flair. 
but he is highlighting that Sting is the man to beat going into 1990. As the Andersons come out to some shitty, terrible music here, and the dominate the entire match, Arn Anderson with the spine buster on Ned Brady picks up the win, 4 minutes, 15 seconds. It's off to Pettacino Nose, our final Pettacino Nose uh, segments of the year. The Steiners join the Briscoes and the Andersons as the only world tag team champion brother team. Of course, the Andersons not legitimately, none of them really legitimately brothers. And then he talks also the Midnight Express turning heel, and they're on, currently on a winning streak since turning heel. So maybe Pettacino speculates, and, and he's right, that the Midnight's going back heel has paid off. I'd have to agree. He finally made sense. Yeah, what do you know? Everything's wrapping everything up in a bow here for us as we close out the year. It's a promo time with all four horsemen, if you ask me. Anyway, Stinger with the Andersons and Ric Flair. Chris Cruz says three horsemen and Sting, however. So it's not quite official yet, I suppose. And the promo all about getting revenge on JTEX. And back to the ring, it's Buzz Sawyer of JTEX, accompanied by Gary Hart and the Dragon Master, taking on Paul Drake. Buzz lets out a nasty, scary howl before the match. And it's immediately, as usual, to the floor as he rubs poor Drake's face first on the mat outside, and then he pulls the mat back because it is Buzz Sawyer and does it again on the concrete. Then back inside, Sawyer with the old Polish hammer. Shout out to Ivan Putsky and some nasty chops and the Buzz Power Slam before the flying splash puts Drake away. Four minutes, 17 seconds. I wrote awesome. From wrestling to brawling to power moves to flying. Buzz Sawyer did everything in this four-minute match. And then I had to note, just sad, sad state of affairs. Basically, everything about when you think back at what happened with Buzz Sawyer. His career, where he ended up, just just sad. With the talent that, that we just saw here, closing out 1989, what Buzz has been able to do just in these last two months. Yeah, I mean, when before, like when I would watch WCW or the NWA, I would just watch the clashes and the pay-per-views that were on the network. I, I mean, I watched the TV and things like that, but what you watch all the time is what's available to you readily. Mm-hmm. So that's what I watch because it's convenient. But Buzz just just sticks out, man. You can watch Clash 10 and you want to see Buzz Sawyer. Uh, he's nuts. He's nuts in that cage match. You, you get to wrestle war. He's there and he just sticks out. So it's just, Whenever he's on the screen, you pay attention because he's he's so much different. He's so much he's so dynamic, and um, like you said, sad is a perfect word to sum it up because he had all the talent in the world, but when you're not reliable and you can't be trusted and you're an asshole and it's just all sort like the whole ball of wax that Buzz Sawyer is, it makes it extremely difficult for anybody to trust you, and you're not going to get anywhere in that situation. So I, I could kind of see why, you know, you bring him in. He's like right in the main event feud. It makes sense. You don't want him to get lost in the shuffle to where his mind might wander and he's going to go off and do stupid stuff. Uh, if you keep him in the main event ma- match or feud, he's going to stay focused, hopefully, long enough for him to get to point A to point B to get to the finish. So um, you got to be careful. I mean, obviously, he doesn't get too many chances, and I think this is his last one as far as I know. Like you said, man, it's sad. It's just really unfortunate because he, he's so much more than that. He should have been so much more than what he was. Agreed, agreed. And it's back to the final Pettacino nose of 1989. Ric Flair goes into 1990, and he still has the same opponents that he had at Starcade. The big guys waiting in line are Sting, Muda, and, of course, Lex Luger. And it's back to the ring flying Brian Pillman. 
taking on Cactus Jack Manson. You guys might have noticed we haven't seen a lot of Pillman the last couple weeks on TV because he was nursing a knee injury, but he is back here for this final week of NWA goodness anyway, as Cactus has uh, really emerged really fast here, even as in this job guy status, but unfortunately the year is over, so not a whole lot left of this either. Pillman with a dropkick early, but he gets tossed to the floor and into the guardrail by Cactus Jack. Pillman comes back with some nasty chops as the two start trading some fairly stiff shots. Cactus misses a charge in the corner and goes into the ring post, but he manages to come back and nail the old Cactus clothesline, taking both guys out to the floor. He grabbed him by like the neck and the face. Yeah, he had to force him over. The jump yeah. or timing, and he yeah. just kind of drug him over by his head. Yeah, he didn't Not care. Looking. You know, you know, rookies or, or new guys to the company, especially job guys, are not doing things like that. They're not trying to piss off their opponent, but Foley's out here trying to make his shit look good. And like you pointed out, Pillman did that pivot, kind of where your back's on the top rope, you're trying to take that bump to the floor, but you don't know which way your body's going to go. And Foley just kind of reaches up and grabs Pillman by under the chin, the neck, and yanks him on out to mm-hmm. follow through with the cactus clothesline there. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, Jack does manage to get heat then, even busts out the old Russian leg sweep for a two count. Cactus Jack with a wrestling move as they go back to the floor. Mm-hmm. Brian Pillman with a back suplex on Cactus Jack outside. And then back in on the count of six are both men as Pillman nails the spinning elbow, which seems to have replaced the sling blade in his repertoire. Cactus comes back with a clothesline in a corner. He tries it a second time, but Pillman comes running out and turns it into a crucifix. Brian Pillman picks up the one with the crucifix. Five minutes and 45 seconds. Man, Brian Pillman has some nasty chops. <laughs> he's, I've, he's always had those. He lays yeah. them in. I know. Like He doesn't get the credit. Like you know, Everybody talks about chops. I don't, ever, I don't hear anybody ever. Bring up really Pillman. I thought, Pillman. That, I thought uh, that forever. And uh, I think even his son had a tweet recently talking about how like uh, nobody talks about my dad's chops but that dude i don't know some why. of these are he's laying them and he is laying them in and, yeah i'm not uh, saying flair doesn't know how son. to throw a chop but uh brian pillman's are uh yeah they're fucking nasty and they've oh always God, been that hell, way. how many did it take it took like two of them and luger's chest was busted at halloween right. havoc or whatever it was oh, so yeah. his chops are next level but um no this is a solid match Cactus Jack got his offense in. Pillman made him look good. I love the crucifix pin. It's like my favorite sneak up behind him type pin that you can get. I love it. And um, this one was good. It was a really good match. You know what else I liked here? I liked Terry Funk on commentary. It took him a few weeks to really get going. But, man, there was a point in this match where Chris Cruz kind of just threw Terry a question. And not only did Terry answer it immediately, he never really stammered or stuttered. He just gave this really Gordon Soli-esque response when Cruz asked the difference uh, to Terry Funk, what was the difference between arm bar and a wrist lock? And Terry goes into this full detail of what the effect does for each move, why they're so different. And he did it with conviction because all these moves are legitimate holds if you apply them properly. And back in the day, especially with shooters and, and hookers and things like that, you learned how to apply the move for real before you learned how to apply it as a work so that you understood what the move was and what it was supposed to do. So that way you knew how to sell and really how to hurt the guy if you needed to. And so Funk, being of the old school, he explained it. And I thought he did a great job here. I really, I thought it added so much to the commentary. Uh, definitely getting better, Terry Funk on commentary. Yeah, absolutely. Really good stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I like. I don't like the over the top. I mean, I love like 
the gimmicks and, and things like that. But when the guys really – and I don't need it the whole time. I don't need it the whole match. Like some of these guys now where they want to call everything, like every single move needs right. to be called. Like I don't like that. But if you can cut your gimmick off for like two or three minutes and put something over like that, uh, it really, really adds to a match. And um, it's really good. I, I really enjoy that stuff. So Pillman picked up the win there, but Cactus won't leave ringside. He doesn't have a partner to beat up this week. He can only blame himself for the loss, but he's hanging around ringside. He's not really happy with what just happened. As we go quickly to a woman promo, she says Norman is following her everywhere, snapping pictures, flashes in her face. She's starting to get bugged by Norman. Norman shouldn't have shown the referee the Steiners and Birds picture, the cheating of the shoe, and she kind of suggests that Norman's in trouble for doing so. But we learned that it's Doom and now the SST. They're finally saying the Samoans are with Doom. They're finally giving up on the skyscrapers, at least right now. And the eight-man tags coming up against these Steiners and the roadies. She warns Norman and the Steiners and the roadies all to watch out. But this almost felt like kind of a, a face promo to some degree when she's talking about Norman stalking her here. She's basically asking him to stop doing it. Yeah, like her, her delivery and everything, she was kind of bubbly a little bit, showing a little bit more personality i guess uh compared to what we normally give with a woman i can see that i can see how you can f- it would look come across as like a face promo like please leave me alone kind of like the cuban assassin promo it may not mean a lot to you americans but to cuba 350 dollars is a lot of money so right. it puts a little empathy on it when you're not really trying to so uh yeah yeah and you it, could you could tell you could tell bad. during that bounty match that was not their intention because the, all jim ross did the entire time was make fun of the fact that it was $350. So that wasn't their intention, but I agree yeah, with you yeah. again. That was, that was more unintentional empathy towards a heel in that instance as well. And we close out this episode of worldwide. It was supposed to be sting taking on scrap iron bill Ford, but you remember cactus Jack was still lurking around ringside before the stinger can even make it to the ring. Cactus Jack attacks bill Ford. Cactus removes the floor padding on the outside slams bill Ford down and the running elbow off the apron onto the concrete. On poor Bill Ford, Sting then finally makes his way out. He attacks Jack, but there's a bell. I thought the ref, I think uh, maybe the timekeeper got confused here. He thought it might be a match. The timekeeper rings the bell for a Sting and Cactus Jack match, but no, it's not meant to be. Sting dropkicks Cactus out of the ring. They fight on the floor. A backdrop on the concrete on Cactus Jack because, hey, why not take a second or third bump now on the outside? And... It's a no contest, basically, between Sting and Bill Ford. The match never actually takes place, but talk about a way to get Cactus over. He has a good match with Brian Pillman, does the job as needed, and then beats the shit out of another job guy, and then gets in there with Sting and lets Sting back drop him on the floor. So really showcased here on Worldwide. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of the guys are doing what they can to get him a job, <laughs> move him out of that jobber status. They're really doing, letting him do what he needs to uh, to get himself over and to get a job. So kudos to them. You know, some dudes could just be dicks. Like, I'm not going to screw you, dude. You're just another guy trying to take my spot. I'm not doing that. But I can only, I can only look at it from Sting's point of view, too. This guy wants me to do what to him? Backdrop him on the kind? Sure, okay. I don't give a sure. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. But, I mean, at the same time, like, you know, Pillman putting on a decent match and damn near gets his head ripped off and that right. sort of stuff. So. I can see some of these guys maybe being apprehensive to it. Obviously, the booking team wants him there, and but they can't have him, so they're just going to job him till they can get him. I can see some of those guys maybe – I don't necessarily know if we see it, but some of those guys I'm sure 
But screw you, dude. <laughs> well, he doesn't stick around too, too long. So it doesn't work out so much this time for Cactus Jack, though he does get pushed a little, obviously, before he's gone in this run. We move on, though, to the final 605 of 1989, December 30th, 1989, again taped on December 10th in Greensboro. This is actually the last TV show we'll be reviewing because the main event is only a year-end review show. So we talk about uh, last week, and we see highlights as things kick off of Ric Flair attacking Lex Luger. Uh, during that Sting and Luger match from last week, as we kick things off again, it's Jim Ross and Gordon Soley again on commentary. Remember, we ended last week's show with the Freebirds getting ready to take on Brian Pillman and the Z-Man. Well, that continues here as the show picks up from last week. The continuation, the face is in control early, but sloppy Tom Zenk with sloppy spots. They screw up. He's, he's not anywhere where he's supposed to be. Uh, Jimmy Garvin's looking for him here where they're trying to get the heat take over. And Zink is not anywhere where he's supposed to be for, it looks like, several spots in a row. Finally, Zink gets bumped to the floor. Hayes with a bulldog on the outside on Tom Zink, and the birds finally take over. It's musical chin locks between Hayes and Garvin. They tag in and out, applying chin locks to the Z-Man. Jim Ross notes that those chin locks on the Z-Man, Zink is being punished, Steve. Shitty double down, crackhead Zink and Garvin in slow motion. Garvin barely took the bump, landed on his ass, Steve. Didn't even want to take the bump from it. And the hot tag to Brian Pillman and Michael Hayes tags in as well. Four-way melee into a double suplex on Michael Hayes. Brian Pillman goes to the top rope, but Jimmy Garvin shoves him off. And somehow, that's a disqualification. Zink and Pillman pick up the win in 11 minutes and 15 seconds after one of the wrestlers in the match shoves another of the wrestlers in the match off the top rope. What did you think about the finish? It was shit. I mean, it just... (laughs) It just summarizes 1989 for us nicely. Um, <laughs> they just call DQs when they want to. It doesn't matter. If we've seen this move 30 times throughout the year. I think you mentioned it before in one of the shows, though. If you, if you crotch them on the top rope, that used to be a DQ. And I think they didn't call it when we was talking about it last time. But they called this time. So, um, shit. That's all I can yeah. say. This match was shit. Post-match, the Freebirds with a double shitty spine buster. I couldn't even tell what the hell it was. I thought Zink might have fucking double DDT'd him, but they call it a double spine buster on the Z-Man. They try a double DDT, but Brian Pillman clears the ring. I wrote worthless Tom Zink. I wonder when he gets better. Yeah, it's a good question. Maybe just teaming with uh, Pillman long enough, maybe? He gets in that, hey, man, we got to fire you up. We got to get you fucking looking like a real fuck. I can't can't go out here and have you as my partner when you work like this. I can see Pillman uh, maybe getting Z- Z-Man in the groove here. The show goes on, though. It's Buzz Sawyer out here with Gary Hart taking on Larry Santo. And there's a new JR-ism here, Steve. He refers to Buzz Sawyer and the fact he says that Sawyer's, his bread is not done. A little doughy in the brain, as Buzz Sawyer says Jim Ross. It makes sense. Yeah. His bread is not done by God. As Buzz Sawyer mauls Larry Santo, per the usual, covers him. But no, not a three count. He pulls him up. Power slam. And that's when I noted the old Buzz Sawyer power slam spot. In order for Buzz to do the Buzz Sawyer power slam, you must do a leapfrog, which Larry Santo just happens to do here. And it's another Sawyer power slam. It's kind of like Norman when all the job guys were doing sunset flips and then he would take a trip to the back cave right there on their face. At least they eventually learned their lesson. Nobody's learning their lesson here with the Buzz Sawyer power slam. And he's been busting this out for years now. Buzz goes up top for the flying splash, picks up the win. Two minutes and 49 seconds. Speaking of Norman, we move on to a Norman match taking on Mike Thor. 
Norman to the ring with his camera, his teddy bear. He's got a picture of woman with him as well. Norman easily disposes of Mike Thor with a middle rope splash two minutes and 34 seconds. And it's promo time with Ric Flair, Arn, and Ole Anderson. They're still looking for the fourth member of the Horsemen. They have their eyes on Sting. So even though Sting's been around them, even though they've thrown up the four with Sting, apparently he's still not officially a four horseman yet. Arn talks parody. It means all things being equal. But the reason it existed in the NWA is because the horsemen were absent for the past year. And all of a sudden, parody is not prevalent anymore. And now you have to deal with it. Life as you know it no longer exists because the horsemen are back. They're the measuring stick from day one. The horsemen have been the symbol of excellence. We've already talked about it, man. He's so damn good. He's so good at promos. Is he ever off? Has he ever had a terrible promo? Not that I can think of. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. It would definitely stick out, it seems like, if I heard one. Maybe maybe something during that Hulk Hogan shit there in 1996. It's possible, but other than that, I can't can't see it. And even Even then, he gets a a pass for me, though, if if it's during that period, though. He has to to try to make sense of all of it (laughs) and cut a promo about it. Can't blame him if it's shit there. We go back to the ring. We get to see Arn Anderson in action. Singles action. I think this is the first time we see Arn in singles action here. Feeling out out process against Bob Cook. Arn, a sportsman early on, even shakes Cook's hand. That is until Cook slaps Arn across the face. Then all deals are off. Did you hear the crowd when Arn got slapped in the face? It was like Hulk Hogan got slapped in the face. They were like, oh, I mean, it was huge. The noise. It felt like one of the matches in Japan where somebody takes a big hit. Oh, that's what it sounded like here from the fans when Cook, the cooker, as Terry Funk liked to call him, slapped Arn across the face. Arn sold it really well. It was tremendous. He even sold it with the crowd. Arn, though, commences to stomp in a mud hole and Bob Cook and walking it dry before the fi- spine buster ends this one in five minutes and 26 seconds. Yeah, really move- good stuff. That, this crowd's awesome, man. Is this still in Greensboro, right? Yes, yes. This is Greensboro still, yeah. Yeah, excellent crowd. Promo time with Wildfire Tommy Rich. Somebody say something about screw jobs. It's the lumberjack match Tommy's talking about where he got screwed by Kendall Wyndham. They fight next week here on World Championship Wrestling. I don't even know if that's accurate. I don't really know when Kendall disappears, but that's the plan at this point. And even if it does happen, thank God we don't have to see it. As we move on with the show, it's the Wild Samoans with Tom, or excuse me, the Samoan Savage and Fatu, the twin brothers along with Oliver Humberdig in their corner, taking on Mike Hart and Brody Chase. They get the win when Savage nails the diving splash, five minutes and 49 seconds. We then go to highlights from last week of the Sting and Luger match in a pre-tape promo from the total package. Lex Luger, he plugs the title match upcoming at the Omni on January 1st. I I was kind of getting upset with this. I, I do like when they do it, but at the same time, they have to realize by this point, this is a national company. This is a cable channel for Christ's sake. And they continue to pimp these shows in the Omni. Like it's, uh, it's wasted time. I feel like sometimes, although Luger does do a good job selling it here. He's got Ric Flair for the world title in the Omni, but all you can do, Steve is wonder what happened because it's not on TV. It's not part of the clash. It's not on pay-per-view. So it kind of makes me mad as a fan that I don't get to see this. Yeah, I agree. Like it makes you wish you can go back in time and move to Atlanta and, (laughs) <laughs> go to the Omni every month to see what was going on, you know, and um, I, I get it because you really want to pop a good house. You need that money. But at the end of the day, like you said, this is a national company. 
and your your primary focus should be shows that people can pay to watch, pay per view clashes, things like that. It, it sucks. <laughs> it really does suck. Like I would hate it, you know. Like watching them now, like the event centers for you know WWF stuff. You, right. You see promos for an MSG show. And it's like, man, I wish I could see that. And I, you know, I I'm, I live where I live. I never would have got that. So if I if I was watching somehow like where I lived growing up, and I got the the New York feed somehow live, and I saw these event centers for shows at MSG, like I would have been salty. Like, man, I wish I could go see that. But it just it does stink. But I get why they do it. It's just at some point you got to get out of that territory mentality. You got to start focusing on what matters, which is TV and pay-per-view. Yeah, they never really do move completely away from it. I mean, maybe not so much the promos directed towards the Omni moving forward, but I know 91, even in the 92, I remember Jim Ross on commentary would talk about the matches upcoming at the Omni. So you still kind of figure out the Omni card just from commentary going, you know, going several years into the future. Uh, but Lex does an okay job here. He says he waited a full year for this match. He's referencing the last time he challenged Flair for the title was Starcade 88. So it has been a full year. He says what goes around comes around because now Lex makes the company go round. Whatever belt Luger has is the number one belt, he says. Again, I love that line, though. Uh, this is a far-gone conclusion, says the total package, but he wants much more than just the belt. He'll take away Rick's belt and his pride, humiliate him and hurt him. Basically, take everything away from the nature boy. As we move on, it was to be Shane Douglas taking on Jim Cornette in an anything goes match. I'd tell the story myself, but Jim, he tells it so much better. On television, once again, the ratings were coming up. We were trying to get hook things for ratings. And so to give, once again, both teams something to do, I came up with the idea I will sign a contract anytime, any place for the fucking midnight to wrestle the dudes. And I signed the dude's contract blindly and come to find out, oh no, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Mm -hmm. It's a contract for me to wrestle Shane Douglas in a singles match. Because it was Saturday night, TBS, WCW Saturday night, we wanted fucking ratings. We want what people, what's gonna happen? I didn't know, and I'm not saying anything. Shane and I, this is 25 years ago. Shane and I are cordial. We speak every time we talk. There's no lingering heat, but he was a young guy at the time. He was green. He didn't know when he was being done a favor and getting used in a prominent position and, and trying to be involved because he even said to me in the airport before we were going to do the taping, you know, I don't sell that powder and that Memphis stuff, right? Like, hey, you know what? I'm a junior member of the booking committee, but you're the junior member of the goddamn talent roster. You ain't telling me what you're fucking selling or not selling, right? <laughs> and especially when Ric Flair and Kevin Sullivan both are going to tell you to goddamn do it. You know, that's pretty much what you're going to do because, goddamn, I'm trying to get us all fucking used on the program here, right? So, and it's in Greensboro, so they're going to accept this. Yeah. And here's what happens. Same thing has happened since the dawn of time. Jerry Lawler's done it with Jimmy Hart. Fucking uh, Dusty's done it with J.J. Dillon. Everybody's fucking done it. Obviously, Shane's going to kick my ass. The boys are at ringside. Somebody distracts him long enough for me to throw the powder in his eyes. The referee don't see it, and he's blind, and I get on him, and I'm fucking trying to fight against this fucking wrestler that I can't whip. And right as he goes to fucking clear his eyes and make some kind of a comeback, one of the guys reaches in and pulls his fucking foot and trips him so I can pull the rope out of my tights and choke him. <laughs> We're giving him some time. What, what am I going to go out and wrestle him, hip tosses and fucking arm bars for five minutes, or he's going to beat me in fucking 30 seconds because he can whip me in 30 seconds? 
Republicans, but no, that's rotten television, right? So the people are up and down and up and down and they're getting into it and then finally he clears his eyes and gets away from me and makes a fucking comeback and gets his hands around my neck and he's throttling me and pinned me just like my main event cage match in 1987 with Ronnie Garvin in Charlotte that drew fucking $70,000 and 8,000 people that Ronnie Garvin, the toughest man walking the fucking earth, did the same goddamn match with me in front of a lot of people in a town he was over in because he was smart to the business. And he pins me while he's choking me. The referee counts so that now it's over and the midnight can come in and get him off of me before he fucking dismembers me. And in Greensboro, the people loved it, right? Shane calls Hurd. Shane calls Shane Douglas, who heard was the only person that heard disliked more than the Midnight Express, calls Jim Hurd and complains, and of course he gets a chance to knock me, so fucking Hurd buys it. Well, yeah, a wrestler shouldn't be selling for a fucking manager anyway. And tells us to retape the fucking match. So, just let me uh, indicate on December 30th on the Saturday Night Show. Remember when the Saturday Night Show did a 1.9 in June? Yeah. The Saturday Night Show does a 3.4 rating, a 6.5 share in almost 1.8 million homes, which is, uh, you know, three and a half some odd million people. So, basically, it, the ratings worked, but Heard wanted it retaped, so we retaped it in, in Peoria, which was a shitty place, I think, yeah. is where we retaped it. But it, he pouted and he called Heard, and yes, we re reshot it in Peoria the same night as, as the rematch with where, where Flair laid us all out in the rematch with fucking Bobby, right? Yeah. Anyway, I came out injured with the doctor's note with my arm in a sling and put Stan in to wrestle fucking Shane. And then we did some gaga. But the point is, the match they thought they were going to see did a 3.4 and was seen in, in fucking over almost 2 million homes or whatever. They got baited and switched. It hurt the fucking show. It wasn't as exciting as what we originally aired. And so, you know, that's not the good way to build ratings. And also because Shane Douglas had called and complained about something that Ric Flair had blessed and that two other members of the booking committee had fucking executed, me and Kevin Sullivan, all the matches coming up where it was the midnight versus the dudes in the houses, and if they won, they got five minutes with me, which is what it was supposed to build to, so they'd get even. Mm -hmm. We just changed it. We beat them every night. They became the first baby face in history that never got the fucking five minutes with the manager. <laughs> That's what they got, and they got heat for it with the only people that were trying to support them. So, you know, Shane, but Shane was young and green then. What do you got to say about that one, Steve? Uh, what can you say? Stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's just uh, green. That's just young there, immaturity, obviously. Um, and it's Shane. That it. sounds like Shane's personality. He just didn't get it at the time. Right. I I mean, what what else can you say? I think you you have mentioned probably now. You probably understand. You you mentioned how hot this Greensboro crowd was last episode and this episode. This match with Shane and Corny took place in Greensboro. You heard the way Corny was describing it. Could you imagine how hot that fucking crowd was for that match that didn't air? Oh, I'm sure. I'm just, uh, how did he? He was saying, talking about the ratings though. Like, did they did this air at one point and then they had to change it? No, what he was saying, I believe what he was saying was people tuned in to see this match. And that's why the show got a 3.4 rating and then they didn't get the match. It was a bait and switch because of Shane Douglas complaining to Jim Hurd. So, uh, I got you. Right. They still got the rating. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, but the bait and switch couldn't have helped going forward, I can't imagine. 
Um, and it does, like he said, it no, turns into, not. it goes from the match that was actually aired in Greensboro or taped in Greensboro that never made air. God, would you like, I'd like to see that on the hidden gems, but instead we get the Peoria match from December 11th between Shane Douglas and Stan Lane. And this is how it all goes down. At least the start of the match. Okay, this is one that I just tell you, wrestling fans have got to gloat over because the Louisville Lip opened it one time too many, and the dudes were the ones that trapped. Listen to this. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent making his way toward the ring from Louisville, Kentucky. Come on, Jimmy. What is this? Cornette was tripping. Well, let's listen to You know, to ladies this. and gentlemen, I was supposed to wrestle Shane Douglas yeah. in an Anything Goes match, and I was really looking forward to it. But unfortunately, I slipped in the shower, bending over to pick up the soap, and my doctor says I can't wrestle for at least eight months. So my designated replacement is Sweet Stan Lane. Here, I've got a note right here. Well, you might expect it out of Cornette. The dude's trick, Cornette. He thought he said he was signing a match for his men, Stan and Bobby, to wrestle the dude. Instead, it was a single. What, did he bring a note from his doctor? I'll bet. So Corny kind of giving it back to Shane Douglas here, basically saying that, well, he's first of all over the top. He's out for eight months. He can't wrestle for eight months. But then the line about... Bending over to pick up the soap, obviously a shot at Shane Douglas. Basically, Shane Douglas fucked Jim Cornette here. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> uh, one of those so, shoot comments, huh? Yeah, yeah. So the match does turn into Stan Lane versus Shane Douglas. The match goes only about three minutes. Uh, Shane Douglas takes over uh, with a drop kick, sends Stan to the floor, and that's when Jim Cornette runs into the ring from behind, no longer in a sling. He's healed. It's a miracle. He has the tennis racket, getting ready to use it on, on uh, Shane Douglas. Meanwhile, on the outside, Bobby Eaton and Johnny Ace going at it. But Shane grabs Jim Cornette in a chokehold and pins him down to the mat. And for some fucking reason, the referee counts one, two, three. And Shane Douglas pins Jim Cornette in a match where he was wrestling Stan Lane after complaining about wrestling Jim Cornette. Uh, I thought this was flat. The crowd was dead. There was no heat through this entire match. Again, it wasn't Greensboro, it was Peoria. This was better. Shane thought this was a better idea than what Corny originally had booked here. Listen to your elders, Shane. That's all I can really tell you. This was terrible, and I hate this finish. I hate this cop-out finish. Yeah, it's pretty shit. Clearly not what Cornette and Sullivan had in mind. It it sucks because it was, like you said, it was uh, was booked really good to get to this point. And after you listen to the Cornette story, it makes perfect sense. They got the upper hand on TV, but you got to pay to see the the good guys get the upper hand on the bad guy. And so, like you said, listen to your elders. Uh, They know what they're doing. It's been done a million times before. And the people like Ronnie Garvin, who's tougher than your ass, Shane Douglas, can do this angle. You can too. Um, Well, Ronnie knew it was going to make money. 
you know, obviously Shane didn't exactly. understand what the what the point of this was, and and you heard what Corny said. They fucked themselves because they were supposed to get five minutes with Cornette all along the hot shell loop throughout the Christmas Christmas week and and beyond, and because they did what they because Shane did what he did, uh, yeah, they swept the finish and the midnights went over every night. So yeah, there you go. You reap what you sow. Absolutely. And we go into a commercial and there's a bumper promo from Tommy Rich and Ranger Ross talking about their upcoming tag team match. And they left it in. They they clearly broke character. They didn't know what they were doing there. He was just having some fun. And Ranger Ross literally breaks up cracking up laughing as we go into the commercial break. We come back having a little fun for the holiday season. It's Tommy Rich and Ranger Ross taking on Nasty Ned Brady and Cactus Jack Manson. I wrote, now this is a heel, a jobber team, Cactus Jack and Nasty Ned. But the baby faces dominate. The heels do get a little heat on Ranger Ross about eight minutes into the match. Boring chants begin as Ranger Ross finally fights back, knocks Brady into the ropes, then tags in Tommy Rich and whips Brady right into the Fez press. And Ranger and Tommy Rich pick up the win. Jesus. Nine minutes and 46 seconds post-match. Once again, Cactus Jack helps Ned Brady up to his feet and right into a Russian leg sweep. The crowd literally made more noise for the Russian leg sweep and Cactus's turn on his partner than they did for the entire match. Then it's the Cactus clothesline to Brady to the floor and ah-ah, says Gordon Soley as Cactus Jack nails the flying elbow onto the concrete one more time into the aisleway. I, I wrote, uh, they, they could have done it without about seven minutes of this 10-minute match and just went straight into the Cactus-Ned Brady uh, spot here at the end. Yeah, this was shit. Really nothing more to say about it. Just terrible. Although I did like the finish again. Cactus beating up the job guy. That was good. But uh, yeah, the match, whew, that was, I don't know who, who the told match itself to go. Was, yeah. 10 minutes. <laughs> go back to the ring. It's the Steiner Brothers, world champion Steiner Brothers, taking on Rick Fargo and Bill Ford. Scott with a tilt-a-whirl power slam and an overhead super belly-to-belly suplex early on on Ford. Then he drags Ford over and allows him to make the tag to Fargo as Scotty tags in Rick. Rick nails that upside-down power slam into the buckles. A Steiner line and a belly-to-belly ends it here. The Steiner brothers pick up the win in a minute and 43 seconds. So Tommy Rich and Ranger Ross get 10 minutes, and the Steiners get a minute 43. Uh, okay. Works for me. I don't know. I'd rather see the Steiners kill the job guys <laughs> for, for a few more minutes and maybe cut back on that Rich match, but... It is How about we just is. cut the match in half and they each get four minutes? There you go. There go. I'll take that. Five minutes. Absolutely. And that works. That's fine. I'll settle for that. <laughs> well, this is it, guys. The final match of 1989. It is. It's Sting! As he takes on one of the members of JTEX. Is it Great Buddha? No. Buzz Sawyer? Uh-uh. It's the Dragon Master. Yes, the final match of 1989 features the Dragon Master. Although accompanied the ring by Buzz Sawyer and Gary Hart, Sting winds up having Ole and Arn Anderson in his corner to back him up. Lots of nothing going on as Sting controls early, but Kendo takes over with shitty stomps, a nerve hold, and a, a sloppy Fujiwara armbar. Sting finally counters after forever in that armbar and nails a Samoan drop. But the master right back on top and right back into the armbar. He's like a Japanese Tommy Rich here this week. Sting does fight back again, punches and a shitty collision from the two. Uh, Sting uh, rolls out to the apron, tries a slingshot splash back inside, but lands on Kendo's knees. 
Then Sting, absolutely out of nowhere, immediately after that spot, does an inside cradle, which is released on the two count, but referee Nick Patrick realizes how shitty this match is and counts three anyway. Thank you, Nick Patrick. Sting picks up the win here, and it's all over. Said and done. That match also, I think it went about ooh, about 12 minutes, about 10 minutes too long, if you ask me. Uh, Buzz wants in the ring post-match to get at the Andersons and Sting, but Gary Hart wisely tells Buzz to wait for another day. So Stinger picks up the win. About 12 minutes this match went. Oof. Bad time. What a bad way to go out. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it, it, it wasn't very good. Um, Sting looked flustered at the end as well. I like Buzz trying to get in. He's a badass. He doesn't care if three or four guys are in the ring waiting for him. He wants to get at it. So um, cool for him. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, a very lackluster way to go out, for sure. We close the final World Championship Wrestling of 89 with Jim Ross interviewing the Andersons. They're selling the Omni card as well. It's supposed to be the Andersons and Sting taking on JTEX. Without looking, I'm pretty sure Sting no-shows this Omni. What is it with Sting no-showing Omni shows? But he actually no-shows a few other things, so I'm not sure if it's injury-related or what the deal was. I do know that the Andersons cut some promos kind of healing it up, uh, basically saying they don't know where their partner Sting is supposed to be. But um, yeah, that's uh, more Omni pushing. As Oli uh, says 1989 might have been Gary Hart's year. Then he talks again about Buzz Sawyer, Great Mood, and Sakurada. Arn returns to the Omni for the first time in over a year. People were running amok all year because the horsemen were absent. Well, Arn is home. The horsemen are home. Arn says they'll do it like they've always done it, horseman style. As we head into 1990, Arn Anderson says heads are going to roll. And that's it for WCW. We move on to the main event for December 31st. That's New Year's Eve, 1989. We've come to a close with a 1989 year in review special, a special two-hour episode. They run through a lot of the tag team action over the year, the Road Warriors, the Varsity Club, the Freebirds, the Steiners, SST, Midnight's Doom. We see highlights of Brian Pillman, Dr. Death, Steve William, the return of the Horsemen, including a promo with all four. That includes Sting, by the way. We see the Lex Luger heel turn and his heel run, even a clip of a match with Tommy Rich from Clash of the Champions. And we also get a look at Ric Flair and what he's done this year. His feud with Ricky Steamboat, his, uh, the feud with uh, Terry Funk, Terry Funk's heel turn, obviously, and then the I Quit match that culminated their feud in Terry Funk's subsequent retirement for the time being and we close out the show no better way i'm sure you would think steve i did this for you i grabbed one final lex luger promo for 1989 1990 it's a new year and it's a new decade a new look in the nwa the greatest wrestling alliance that there has ever been because a total package lex luger writes his own ticket in this sport and I wrestle where the greatest competition is, and that is the NWA. The year 1990 is a year of acquisition for the total package Lex Luger, a total mode of acquisition. And when I say that, it means I will take everything that this sport has to offer. The whole ball of wax is what's in store for the total package Lex Luger, because everything I've ever done in my life has been a rousing success and the year 1990 will be no different because i'm getting everything this sport has to offer and that means i am the next world's heavyweight champion 
That's it just for you, Steve. A final Lex Luger promo on the way out the door. <laughs> That's all, folks. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of just, uh, it's kind of what he's been saying the last four or five months, all put into one promo. Uh, he's the star of the 90s, and now the 90s is upon us. And um, here we are. Decent promo by Luger there. Here we are, the final champions list of 1989. As you pointed out earlier, the U.S. Tag Team title is still vacant from much earlier in the year. However, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion is Ric Flair. He's held that belt since May 7th after defeating Ricky Steamboat. The current U.S. Heavyweight Champion is Lex Luger, two-time champion this year. He's held the belt the second run since June 10th, beating Michael Hayes back for the belt. But Luger's pretty much dominantly held that belt since beating Barry Windham. I think Hayes only had it for about three weeks of TV time anyway. Uh, World Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, since November 18th, defeating the Freebirds. Hallelujah on that one. And, of course, the World Television Champion is the Great Muda, beating Sting for the vacant TV title back on September 3rd in the Omni. So, Muda, the Steiners, Lex Luger and Ric Flair, not a bad list of champions here as we conclude 1989. And we have to have one final VIP Chopper of the for December 1989, and I put this purposely at the end of the show. Well, we just finished December, so it makes sense anyway. But I wanted to bury this one, Steve, because I, I didn't want to get too much heat for it. But I can only give this to, well, two men, actually, this week, this month for VIP Jabra of the Month for December of 1989. And I hate to do this, but, hey, the NWA did it to him, not me. I'm going to give this one this time, Steve, and you can argue it if you want, to Doom. After putting up the goose egg... <laughs> <laughs> at Starcade, uh, they've done more high-profile jobs in 1989 than any job guy on the roster. I, I can go with that. I was thinking Cactus Jack, but well, uh, uh, yeah, very prominent too. That's good, uh, excellent, excellent I, choice. I, I can go with Doom. They got robbed at uh, <laughs> at Starcade, and it's hard to recover from that. Thank God they had the talent to do so and the look, because not many teams can recover after that. So. I will agree with you based off the premise that they got the shaft at Starcade, right. and um, it's no knock on them at all. It's no, shitty booking. Definitely, definitely not, yeah. But when you have – well, it's not even shitty booking. It's shitty presentation or a shitty idea from Jim Hurd to have a tournament because you always got to have one guy or one team that's going to look like this, and it's unfortunate that it's doomed. Yeah, and I and I, I put them in here lightheartedly. I mean, obviously, I don't. It's just like I did with Eddie Gilbert, uh, more so to make everybody take notice of the way these guys are booked. Are is Doom uh, jobber material? No, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons are definitely, definitely not job guys. I'm just uh, kind of just pointing out the fact of the way they were booked here, specifically at Starcade. Now, if you want to be legitimate, I agree with you, Steve. Cactus Jack absolutely deserves the VIP jobber of the month as far as a job guy goes. He's done a good job getting himself over. Certainly, certainly. Uh, probably one of the more high profile jobbers of, of the entire year. And he did it within a matter of like three weeks. He literally debuted at the beginning of this grenade and he's, he's done here with us, uh, you know, in three weeks time, he's really uh, showcased himself. Yeah, definitely. Can't go wrong really with either one of those guys. Doom or Cactus Jack. Yeah. So I argue either way, you know, like I said, Doom is more of a lighthearted choice. Cactus Jack, probably the more appropriate choice there. Good choice, Steve. Demelts notes as we close out 1989, Jim Hurd is the one still pushing hard for Lex Luger. I'm sure you like that to be the one to get the World Heavyweight Championship belt. Of course, we know that it is not meant to be as long as Ric Flair is the decision maker on that end. 
Also, <laughs> it should be noted that Black Jack Mulligan and Kendall Wyndham, yes, the Kendall Wyndham we've been watching for the last few weeks, were arrested the day after Christmas. That's December 26th for passing counterfeit $20 bills. Very popular story. You can go online and look it up, find a little more information there. They were busted actually on December 22nd when they sold it to Secret Service agents. Way to go, Kendall Wyndham and Blackjack Mulligan. Was Party it Jack by the Victory? Na- oh, yeah, that's a good point. Point. I wonder if Jack Victory did pull out the old gimmick there and fucking arrest Kendall <laughs> Wyndham. They were on the same card. It's very possible. Uh, Could you imagine a rib, a rib? book uh oh, wow. kendall women versus jack victor and he comes out as secret service yeah when kendall got out of prison they should have uh they should have booked that match like a one-off oh, one way that's all we Ooh, wanted you back for kendall house. just a one-off just so we could laugh at you reportedly mulligan kendall they got him from a third party by the name of randall caldwell uh, barry windham was the man who posted bail for his brother and his father here and again if you want more on that story you can go online it's all over the place and just closing out this episode, I got to talk about a lot of the guys coming in here in January of 1990. We just missed them. Mean Mark Collis, of course, going to become The Undertaker in less than a year. Ricky and Robert, The Rock and Roll Express, on their way back. Samu will also return from his suspension in the Samoans. And also to note, Gary Hart will soon be fired. Good riddance. The man who got Muda to take off back to Japan. Well, Jim Hurd had a little help in that too by by creating that damn Starcade where Muda had to do all the jobs. And listen to this for a silly bunt, bit of trivia, at least at least according to DeMeltz. DeMeltz claims that Vince McMahon reportedly hired Pat Tanaka and Akio Sato to create the Orient Express just to prevent the NWA from adding them to the JTEX Corporation. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Well, that's what the I'm not says. buying those guys in, in JTEX. Well, no. I'm not buying them in JTEX. Well, it's an upgrade so, from Kendo Nagasaki, potentially. Well, I, I, I'm not knocking it, but I'm not buying it. Right, yeah. I, I <laughs> but, agree. Uh, this doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. I mean, Kendo may suck, but he has at least he has a look that kind of fits in with what they're going with. Right. Uh, a little bit. I'm not saying he looks good, but he fits into that heelish, you know, odd job type character. Yeah. Um, so I'm not buying the Orient Express and the JTEX. That makes no sense. And Maybe Vince seen what they were doing with their Japanese guys and was like, yeah, we, we need a couple uh, of Japs on our roster. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably more accurate. Yeah, but, I, can, um, I can see that. I, I, I agree with Jim Hurd, though I'm pushing Luger. Not because I'm a fan, but I just feel like it, he was built or he was pushed to that point to where it almost felt like it was needed. And if you would have won it here, it would have had a way bigger impact as far as his career goes. Because when he won it at the Great American Bash, it meant nothing. It really did. Flair was gone. He beat Barry Windham. It was useless. He was off TV for like six months. And he fought Sting. And that's pretty much it. Like his run was it. Whereas in 1989, going into 90, like he was built up as the top heel in the business or in the company, and um, I felt like he could have took the ball and ran with it yeah. at that point, and it would have been a more impactful um, title win for Luger. Yeah, no but no pun intended. In cards. Yeah, no pun intended here, but he really was the total package at this point, more so than, than Sting was. He was just built into the next level where the fans were more behind Sting, don't get me wrong, but Luger just had 
he was more groomed better. Yeah. Even if they were indirectly not even trying to groom him to the level they were of Sting, he was just groomed better. It just worked out that way to where it just seemed like the next step, the logistical next step. Yeah, he kind of gets egg on his face. You know, you book him up the way you have, and then for him not to come through with winning the title, right? You, you're you're either going to have to do what they did, which is turning face, just to because Sting got out. But if you if it ran its course and he never won. You're, he's never going to recover from that either. It's almost, it's almost where you get to the point where you booked him into a corner where you're almost forced to give him the title and see what he does with it. Yeah, and, this is just um, Flair wanting to be the one to pass the torch to Sting. Obviously, he didn't want Luger to have the belt. I mean, you could fantasy book all day long. You could have had Luger do the face turn, win the title instead of Sting uh, earlier in the year at Wrestle War. And then Sting comes back, and he's, he's going to get his title shot at the bash against Luger. Luger's like, wait a minute. I came, I, I basically, I turned baby face for you. Like I came and defended your honor and you come back and you have the audacity to challenge me for the fucking world title. That's the thanks I get, nice. you know, in Lex Luger's mind, that's the thanks I get. And then boom, instant heel again, the, the old steamboat clothesline again, you know, and there you go. Take you a chair get, shot to the leg, dude. Yeah. <laughs> chair shot to the leg. I don't know if I would have trusted anybody hit me in the leg at that point, especially Luger. But yeah, I get what you're saying though. Yeah. That's I think that, he, would, he, he would have protected I guess so. But yeah, that's it, guys. We have done it. 31 episodes later, we have concluded the entire 12-month run of the NWA in 1989. Boy, man, all of the names that have every come and gone. Every Yes, <laughs> every TV show that was known to exist, and a shit ton more that nobody has seen possibly in more than 30 years. So yeah, we'll have more on that next week when I send out a few thank yous and things like that of finding us some of these missing episodes of TV that nobody's really ever seen. But we cracked down, we studied the Observer, all the news and notes we could possibly find. Did I looked through some shoot interviews? Jim Hurd's shoot interview, thanks to Conrad Thompson, came in handy near the end. Lots of Jim Cornette, so much from Dave Meltzer to that all the TV we went through. I don't think we left any stone unturned here. I think we really dissected this year. I agree with you, man. I don't want to put ourselves over, but I think we did a phenomenal job. No, I'm very um, happy and very proud, and I'm I I've never every every nook and cranny, man. Yeah, I don't think I've ever thoroughly watched any year like this, but I love it more so. 1989. It was more of an enigma to me because I remember all the guys, I remember all the big shows, but I didn't remember a lot of these little twists and turns on the TV shows, and that was uh, what was really cool. Same here. Like WWF, you remember the angles, you remember the stories, you remember the TV, but WCW, NWA, it's kind of hard because they sometimes they have angles and feuds, sometimes they don't. They don't really know where they're going or what they're doing. So being able to watch all the TV and absorb all that information and learn about them and remember them and things like that, like that shit at the beginning of the year with the roadies getting attacked on championship wrestling, the Sunday morning show or whatever, the Saturday morning show. Right. I'd never seen that before. I don't even remember ever seeing that. So uh, just things like that that a lot of people don't talk about, a lot of people don't remember. So um, my my saying is if you're going to do something, you can't half-ass it, and we didn't half-ass it, my friend. <laughs> no, definitely. We, uh, we did everything we possibly could to give you guys all the information and have a little fun along the way. I love the little sound bites we added in, and we had a little – fun with guys like uh dan spivey and and norm and the lunatic hey, little howdy duty on your coconut oh, oh. Nah, nah, yeah. but it's all in good fun and hey, hey you pay attention you are an idiot 
says the Iron Sheik, who also came through 1989. And uh, they're still paying him. He might still be on WCW payroll <laughs> right now. I'm not sure. But, yeah, it's been fun, guys. And you got to tune in next week. It's the year in review show. It's over. 1989 is over. But, man, we're going to relive a few of the fun times we had. And we're going to listen to some sound bites, maybe a couple more of those fun little sound bites I just played for you as well. And uh, giving out some awards. We're going to be giving out a few awards. Uh, wrestler of the year, MVP of the year, tag team of the year, worst wrestler of the year. That should be a fun one. And uh, quite a few other little fun awards I created just for the show to have a little uh, conversation <coughs> Tommy about. Rich. Yeah, Tommy Rich needs an award. Um, <laughs> worst wrestler of the year. <laughs> worst wrestler to get a job other than the Iron Sheik, potentially. I'm not sure. How did you pull it, how did you pull it off award? It could be. Yeah, but lot, we're going to do a little quick trip down memory lane, talk about some of the guys that came and went pretty fast, and uh, give away a few awards, have a little fun, and then it's on to the new topic. What's it going to be? What year are we going to go into? What promotion are we going to next? One quick hint to everyone out there. We will not continue the NWA slash WCW for our next topic. It will be a different promotion. What promotion will it be? You'll have to tune in next week to find out what year will it be. Again, you'll have to tune in next week to the special year-in, year-in-review episode of 1989 NWA, episode 32 of The Grenade, to find out. We'll announce it next week. Again, that is WrestleMania week, the special awards show and year-in-review. And then in two weeks' time, we'll be back with that new promotion, that new year of professional wrestling. We hope you guys like what we choose and we hope to have a lot of fun with it. I think there's a lot to be fun, a lot of fun to be had with uh, where we're going next. Yeah, that's no lie. Uh, <laughs> might be a little easier for us <laughs> as well as far as, yeah, well, no more. We won't say no more. Don't give it away too much. Don't give it away too much this week, Steve. Absolutely. So, guys, we thank you so much for this long journey, this trip, this 31-week journey through the NWA in 1989. We hope you guys learned some things. I certainly learned some things, and I thought I knew quite a bit, but I learned a whole lot more. So now I uh, I think uh, it's safe to say that, you know, if anybody has any questions about NWA 89, they can come to us. We might have the answer for them. The one question we can't answer is oh, why is Steve Casey named the chopper? <laughs> Absolutely. We figured everything out. We know everything about the NWA in 1989. The one thing we can't answer is why Steve Casey was called chopper. Uh, so anybody listening, if you can figure that out for us, let us know. I'd really appreciate it. Again, you can always drop us a line on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Check out all of our shows, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, our sister show, as well as all the past episodes of NWA89 and the Wrestling Memory Grenade over at WrestleCopia.com or all of your streaming pod app needs over there, uh, Apple Pod, Google Pod, Spotify, we're now even on Amazon Music, Steve. So we're everywhere. You guys want to listen? We're there. Look us up, Wrestling Memory Grenade, and uh, we'll be back next week with a special year in review show. Steve, I appreciate you on this long journey. It's been fun. Yeah, it's definitely been a blast, man. And also next week, uh, I think we'll we will do another giveaway. It kind of ties into our new year and new new promotions. So uh, look out for that as well. All right, another special free prize giveaway coming up. So remember to be a follower. You have to follow us on Twitter in order to enter and win the free prize. Can't wait to see what that is. Steve, going to leave us in the dark on that. I don't even want to know. I want to find out next week myself. So we appreciate you guys again for Ray Russell, Steve Ekstat. We appreciate you guys so much. Uh, it's been a long journey, but a fun journey through NWA 1989. We'll be back again soon. You're in review show, and then even more fun on the way.
Promotional consideration paid for by the following.